welcome to the fifth annual. Fifth? Fourth? Fourth or fifth annual. We, we did it on 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019. Fifth. Holy shit. Fifth annual best albums of the year podcast. It is episode 168. It is the last podcast episode of the year. It is the last podcast episode of the decade, Jake. Wow. Lot of lasts, fifth in a row. We've been doing that. I, I can't believe it. Where's the time gone? Uh, yeah, I was thinking about that today. It's crazy. We really are right on the precipice of a uh, of like a new decade Whew. and living in the 20s. Can't believe it. We're about to be people alive during the 20s. I, like what? <laughs> Which is a fascinating <laughs> thing to say on its face, you know, alone. Absolutely crazy. Um, um, yeah, but it's been it's been a really good run. Uh, and we've talked before about how the podcast probably in the next year will be like, you know, a, a more a slower yeah. sort of rhythm or cadence. Yes, exactly. To use a work term. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It'll be a little bit different, but we will still be listening to albums. We'll still be chronicling our music listening. We'll still be talking about it. Um, and I think this year, Jake, 2019 was one of the strongest years in music that we've had this decade. It was one of the strongest since we've started doing the podcast. I, I still think 2016 is the high watermark for the decade and for this podcast. But 2019, I think, is probably only second to 2016. I've never had a stronger top 50, um, top to bottom, than I've had this year. I've never struggled more with including or excluding truly great albums in a top 50 that's not always the case every year. Um, you know, we've made top 50s, but I think a lot of them have just been sort of curiosities or throw-ins by the time you get to number 40. I was struggling over, like, what would be my 49 or 50. And I had to leave out a lot of albums I really enjoy. Strong year. Yeah, it, it was a really strong year. I think my experience was a little bit different. My uh, my music listening minutes dropped yet again this year. Um not to a degree where I don't have 50 albums I can talk about, but to a degree where it's like, I had just about 50. I don't feel yeah. like I was like, you know, there's some even in my high 40s and 50s where it's like, I, I could have listened to these more. Yeah. I could have done more um, to, <laughs> yeah, of to, course. to understand these albums. Of course. Um, but that's that's a me thing more yeah. than it is. I agree that it was a really, really strong year. From My list is like quite top heavy with like uh -huh. excellent albums that I really loved. Yeah. Um, but I, I would agree with you, I think in general. And I think that, yeah, 2016 remains probably the high. Yeah. It, you know, you mentioned the amount that we listened to. Um, I think we both hit roughly like 140 new albums from this year. Something like that. You beat me on all metrics this year. Yeah, there were years where I listened to more. You've always listened to more minutes worth yeah. of music. There were years where I had more albums total tallied. Yep. At least one listened to them. Right. But this year, I think you just beat me in everything. Yeah, I, I was looking at the numbers yesterday. I had a hundred forty-ish brand like new albums from twenty nineteen. Then I had another hundred from uh, ones that I had never listened to that came out pre twenty nineteen. And I got my music number minutes back up it, it took a little bit of a dip last year for whatever reason and then this year i was up at like eighty-eight thousand or yeah. something like that so it was back up which was good um and I, it's interesting you bring that up like i think a thread of this podcast has been like what does it mean to be a music fan yeah. and a music listener um because i think we came into the podcast with different approaches and kind of met by like 2016 17 
um, I was, I think, up in the 60,000s right. of minutes or something like that. 65, right. which for me is really high. Um, and I think what I've realized is that like my stasis and what I'm comfortable actually listening and where music fits into my life and where I really yeah. want it is lower. It's, yeah. it's in more in the 30 range. And um, I've realized that like for me personally... I can't measure myself that way no. because I like it, it just doesn't if I try to keep up and make it too competitive I it's ruin not it for myself yeah and I bit. think we've both gotten to a healthier um, place with that where we both look at it from our own perspectives of what we want to hit and I was comfortable with the amount I listened to yeah, totally. I think trying to push it anymore I I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much I have never had a higher percentage of albums that I listened to and actually enjoyed and returned to yeah. than I have this year. There'd that's be, really good. There'd be times in the last few years where I would listen to something once just to say I listened and really not go back. I was looking through and doing my re-listens for our top albums here, and I was just like, whoa, yeah, that was a good one too. I really like that one. I love that one. Like, I've not had a year quite like this. So just in terms of enjoyment, this is one of my most enjoyed years of listening to music. That's awesome to hear. Big shout, by the way, to um, every year I kind of gauge who amongst, like, of, of my friends had the most minutes listened to. Yeah. It's always Kevin. I know. Big shout to Kevin. I know. Take a guess at how many minutes he had logged this um, year. Um, like, like 112,000 or something. 200,000. What? Yeah, it was above 200,000 oh minutes. God. I think the reason is, and he, he was telling me, that it's like, he'll just listen to shit literally on repeat at all moments of the day. Yeah. Like, like that new Grime song yeah. that came out I've 4 a.m. I've seen listening to that a lot, yeah. He said he had like been listening to it all night while he slept. Yep. All day while he was at work. Yep. Like he just had it on repeat. Wow. So big shout out to him. Wow. For... That's just a dead... That's different. Yeah. It is. Good for him. Good for him. Um, quick disclaimer that we do before every... Countdown podcast. These are just our favorites. These are not what we are saying are the objective best of the year. These are just the ones that we listened to the most and enjoyed the most. These are our favorite rankings. Um, you might have very different ones. You might agree. You might disagree. Doesn't matter. These are just two people's perspectives and opinions, not definitively what is the best. I know there are Great, great albums that I'm leaving off my top 50. Oh, me too. My rankings might be not what you agree with at all. I don't care. These are my rankings. Yeah, exactly. And, and they're they, Jake's rankings. Yeah, and you can only take it so seriously. Yes. At the end of the day, you're going to like the music you like and dislike the music exactly. you dislike. Uh, so these so are ours. what we will do for our top 50 albums, we will go back and forth and count down chunks of 10, and then we'll trade off once we get from 10 to 1. Um, so Jake, before we dive in... Did you have any honorable mentions yeah. that you wanted to give that just missed the cut for you? Yep, a few honorable mentions. I have uh, the Wilco album, Ode to Joy. Um, I, this is probably going to raise some eyebrows. I do have the Kanye West album as an honorable mention. Hey, yeah. I don't think it's truly bad. Yeah, at one point, I even had it at 50. Wow. I couldn't keep it at 50. No. It doesn't make sense to have it at 50. No. It's too short and there's too much on it that's not really yeah. memorable there's a couple good songs yeah. um and i just i still have hope for kanye west yeah a few more toss man on earth i love you it's a fever dream is an honorable mention that nivik album yes uh, after its own death walking in a spiral towards the house um and then the one that just missed the cut girl pool what chaos is imaginary yeah um a couple of those were also my i had tallest man on earth as an honorable mention i had the sturgill simpson album mm -hmm. sound and fury as an honorable mention 
Um, I really agonized over these six or seven right here. Julia Jacqueline crushing. I ended up leaving off. Brittany Howard, Jamie, I left off. Oh, nice. Nilifer Yanya, Miss Universe, I just left, left off. Same with that Carly Rae Jepsen album, Dedicated. I thought that was very good, but maybe just not con- quite consistent enough yep. to get it into the top 50. That's fair. Uh, Freddie Gibbs and Mad Lib, their collaboration, Bandana, really, really strong rap album, but... Uh, a couple other ones snuck in yep. at the very end here above that. I did leave off that Girl Pool album as well. As I, you know, I listened to that a lot and I really didn't like it. And, and I've, you know, there's three you or really four. You didn't like no, it? No, I did. did like I did it. like it. And there's three or four songs on there that I love, but I never want to return to it really, yep. other than those three or four songs. So I left that off. Um, and then the Priest's album, The Seduction mm. of Kansas, that just missed Big it for surprise, me too. Actually, yeah, for me. I I really did enjoy that. Um, the more I thought about it, I thought the song Seduction of Kansas and then Good Time Charlie were the real highlights. So those were more represented with my songs countdown uh, than the albums one. But I did want to shout it out because it was still very good. Really quick, Good Time Charlie sounds like it was the title of a Clash song. Seriously, it just that that should have I, been I, on I Sandinista. I know. I <laughs> I know. Good Time Charlie. <laughs> yes, I know. That's such a good point. Um, so yeah, I mean, any one of those could have easily been in my top 50, um, but didn't. Yeah. So let's count, let's, let's kick it off, Jake. Do you want to start? Well, I think I started last time. Okay, then I will start. All right. Sounds good. Uh, coming in at my number 50, this goes all the way back to, I believe, January of last year. So almost a full year ago, I have the Twilight Sad. Oh wow! With it won't be like this all the time. Now I know you had a really good run with this. This is one. this is a Scottish band. They were close with Frightened Rabbit. They were close with Scott Hutchinson. Um, still such a fucking tragedy. Yeah, still still very raw. I think a lot of this album was a reaction to that. Um, I listened to this at a time in my life where that phrase "it won't be like this all the time" was really important, actually, and. I did have a very strong like two week run last winter with this, and I go back and I listen now, and it just feels like that time so much. And we we talk a lot about time and place yep. on this podcast. This album is a time and place for me. That makes sense. And I think some of those albums I just rattled off on my honorable mentions are technically better, but sure. I did not have the emotional connection that I had with this Twilight Sad record. So that comes in at my number fifty. Um, number forty nine, I have Deer Hunter. Why hasn't everything already disappeared? so underrated this band does not get enough credit for what they've been doing consistently for over a decade now um i thought this was every bit as good as monomania or fading frontier um so big shout to deer hunter definitely a band that is that just like gets marks against them for how great their best album is yes because like you sort of have to grade them against themselves but if you're not doing that if you can remove the fact that this isn't going to be halcyon digest or microcastle you can realize oh wow this is a very good indie rock album yeah it's the halcyon digest bell curve exactly exactly my number 48 i have jpeg mafia with all my heroes are cornballs so i think it's a very challenging album yeah but um, one of the most interesting rap albums of the year. And I, I can see myself listening to this more over the years and actually having this rise. So I did want to include it somewhere in the top 50. 
Uh, 47, I have Tyler the Creator with Igor. Oh, nice. I like to hear that representative didn't make mine. this um, would not have been if I didn't get a few listens in over the last couple weeks. If we had done this podcast when we were supposed to on the 17th wouldn't have made it. or 18th, it would not have made it, but it did sneak in. This is a great rap album. 46, I have James Blake with Assume Form, another one that came out almost a full year ago. Uh, 45, Gunna, Dripper Drown 2, nice. Jake. Uh not in not not the most consistent album. Uh, it's more of it's highlights. There's some highlights on here that I love. I can't, I listen to this kind of a fuck ton over the course it of would, this year. It though. would not be your list without it. It, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be it your wouldn't. list without it. So Dripper Drown Two, Forty Four. I have Little Sims with Gray Area, a great um, British rap album yeah. uh, that I would highly recommend checking out. There's a Michael Kiwanuka guest spot on here. Cool stuff. Um, I think Anthony Fantano really liked this album too. Really? Ranks pretty high on his end of the year list. So Little did Sims. You, did you watch area. his list? Uh, I looked at it. Looked I at saw it. it. Um, I always go into his videos, pause them, and look at the ranking, and then yeah. close out. Unless it's an album I like, love, yeah. and he also loves, then I'll watch it. Interesting list from him. I, I respect it. Uh, number 43, Titus Andronicus and Obelisk. Oh, wow. Now, this album, again... Did not get the credit it deserved. It kind of fell into a deer hunter, criminally underrated thing where it's just like, well, Stickles is putting out music. Uh, he has his fan base, but it's not the level of the monitor, so we're just not going to talk about it. I had a great, great re-listen to this. Uh, the day of the Christmas party we went to, actually. Oh, that's uh, awesome. At Erica and Trey's, big friends of the pod, big shout. And I was just like, whoa, this is great like punk rock record yeah. and Stickles lyrics are awesome. So I had to include it. 42, I have Kate LeBon with Reward. Nice. Um, 41, I have 100 Gex, 1,000 Gex. <laughs> this is like, this was a late entry as well. I didn't discover this album until I saw it on a bunch of end of year lists. But this album is so much fun. It's like future meme pop with like, industrial trap beats and like funny lyrics i think i texted you and described it as like a full-blown assault on your pleasure receptors and i still have not had the chance to listen i i started a track i was reading and i was yeah, like not what you want to be re- listening to as you read so this is what happened is i was like i have ambient music on i was like i'll try this hundred mm-hmm. gex album see if this is what i want to read to no i heard like 10 seconds i was like nope saving this <laughs> yeah saving this it's really good okay. it's it's a lot of fun um, was that the end of your... That was my 50 through 41. Okay, at 50, I think you'll be happy to hear this. I have a Great Grandpa with Four of Arrows. Nice, that snuck on. Made my list. Hell There's yeah. some really, really good songs yes, there on are. here. Mono Noire is yes. a really good one. Digger. Um, I forget a lot of the names, yep. to be honest with you. Uh, 49, this is probably one of the... Already we have a really close ranking. I have the JPEG Mafia album. Mm. All My Heroes Are Cornballs. Um, difficult in the way you described. Really glitchy. Um... But really funny in a lot of ways. It the is. recordings he has of like basic girls saying like yes. boring takes yes. and stuff are hilarious. I love the line where he's like in the drive-through. He's let me let me get the let me get a double bacon. Let, no no no. Let me let me get a bacon with fries. The double bacon and it's just that for like forty-five seconds. Yes, it's awesome. Like this, and, I, this album I think is going to age very well. This plays with and distorts our normal yeah. uh, understanding of like rap music or yeah. song structure in rap songs. Totally. And he tries a lot of different things. Yes. Like there's songs where there's like really catchy auto-tuned choruses, yeah. but then there's like really aggressive 
yeah, and the production on it is really interesting. Um, 48, I have this is an album that wouldn't have made it if we did it at our original date. Also, it's the Finesh album, Al, uh, yes. Agora. Algora? Oh, yep. Algora. Yep. More on that later. Um, really, really good. And it made the list by being my listening for making the list. Amazing. Yeah, I was listening. To, I was like, okay, I, I like need it. to return to this album because yep. I didn't give it its yep. due. So what I'll do is I know it's ambient. So I'm going to listen Perfect. while I make this list Perfect. and while I read. And so I've listened to it like three, four times in the last couple of weeks. It's awesome. Excellent. It's really, really It's one good. of the better ambient albums I've heard this decade, honestly. I think you'll be happy to hear this next one too. 47, I have Posca with Sunshine. Hey, yeah. wow. Loved love this it. shit. This is from uh, Sean's yes. big friend of the pod. Yeah, big friend of the pod, Matthew. I work with him, makes his own beats and raps. This uh, is kind of like an Earl Sweatshirt-esque Type of vibe. Uh, little vibe, yeah. yeah. Nice. And it didn't feel like a conflict of interest for me to have yeah, it on the list. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I did leave it off of mine because for that it reason. did feel like a conflict of interest. Totally. I, I love this, though, and I love that it made it on your list. It's excellent stuff, and I, I would recommend anybody check it out. Um, it is, yeah, an Earl Sweatshirt or like Mike, if you've listened mm-hmm. to the rapper Mike. Which I did vibe. check out. I like that a lot. It's good shit. Yes. More on that later. 46, Kara Kara with the better EP. Great, great EP. One of the only EPs that made the list. It's only three songs. Yes. Um, but each one is really good, and it's what you want out of this band. Uh, number 45, I have Howdy with Heavy Lifter. It's an inconsistent mm. album, but the highs are high, mm-hmm. um, and the song Cathedral is really excellent. Number 44, I have Carly Rae Jepsen with Dedicated. I, I um, do love this album. Not an album I'd listen to all the way through no. all that much, but I heard a lot of the songs throughout the year. There, This always happens to me with Carly Rae albums, to be honest with you, even one that's as good as Emotion. There's like always six songs where I'm like, these are bangers and amazing, and then the rest I'm kind of like yeah. lukewarm on. Yeah, and that's totally fair, and it just felt like it fit there. Um, Number 43, Dave Psychodrama. This is an album I've yeah. listened to two times. Yeah, it's good though. Um, because it really is kind of like a story album. Yeah. And, uh, but it's really excellent. Speaking of that British rap. Yes. Um, this guy has like some serious flow, some really interesting technique, and is like an excellent storyteller. I, I think you need to be in a certain into mood. the storytelling rap to really connect with this. But if you're in that mood, it's excellent. Yeah, and the times I listened to it were strong enough where it makes my list. Uh, number 42... Western Stars by Bruce Springsteen. This made your top 50, but did not make mine. So that goes to show the kind of years we had. You probably had a stronger list overall. I had a really good, literally, two to three listens to this album. This album's good throughout. It's It's really good. Consistently good. good. And like the times I listened to it were enough to make me be like, shit, like... Springsteen still has a yeah. couple. He has a fastball. Yeah, he does. And the, he's singing better than he's ever sung yeah. on this album. His he voice, sounds great. His voice is amazing, and on some of these songs, he's it's so powerful. Um, and and it, similar to Dave, it was like the the times I had with this album were powerful enough where I was like, yeah, that's going to be included. I feel like it deserves. I, I, a spot. I love that that this made it. Big shout out to Sleepy Joe's Cafe, <laughs> which my dad. Um, Thinks is is like a sneaky Joe Biden reference. Sleepy yeah. Joe Biden. I mean, if, if, given Bruce's politics, probably <laughs> n- maybe not so much. Exactly. If, well, at least not disparaging right. toward him. Right. Uh, in forty one, I have Danny Brown with you know what I'm saying. Nice. Um, a really fun, funny actual change. Yeah. <laughs> Mark the stripper for some change. Actual change. Um, yeah, that that's it's a really good album. Uh, Three tears in a bucket, whatever that song is called. Fuck it, fuck it. Yeah, that song is also excellent. Um, so yeah, that's my fifty to forty-one. My number forty, I have Vagabond with Vagabond. Nice. Uh, really, really love this album. I have been returning to it quite a bit, actually. 
Number 39, I have Young Thug with So Much Fun. I think this was the high watermark for trap music this year. Uh, all due respect to Dripper Drown 2. Yes. Um, but So Much Fun was just so much fun. Young Thug, I think, realized no. he kind of had the the world, all the critics here in this, you now, know? Now, where do you rank this compared to an album like Jeffrey? You know, I, Jeffrey is pretty different from So Much Fun. So Much Fun really feels like a, a almost a, like a victory lap in a way, yeah. where Jeffrey felt like, I have people's attention. I'm going to do something that's maybe a little bit more pushing things in the genre. So I think you can track different Young Thug releases. Like Barter 6, I think, is actually maybe the most groundbreaking and important. Um, Jeffrey is also that, but a little less so. And then something like So Much Fun is just literally like a fun party trap album. So if you take the three of those, I think those are his three best. Then around that, there's a bunch of mixtapes and other releases with varying degrees of quality. Um, so it just depends on what you want. I, I think something like Jeffrey is a good mix of like Barter 6 and So Much Fun. Though, okay. If that makes sense. Totally. I might be way off. There's probably some like real young thug heads out there who are like, nah, fuck you, man. That like, sounds pretty accurate based on what I've heard. I think, I think that's true. Uh, so number 38, I have Pale Hound, Black Friday. Oh, nice. Um, they opened for uh, Big Thief when we saw them. Um, and I'm really happy that they got to be on that tour because this is a super solid album. I highly recommend. Good indie rock. Speaking of good indie rock, 37, Kevin Morby. Oh, my God. This Ke was in my like extended honorable mention. Kevin list. Morby occupies this space where he like channels Bob Dylan but also is like – just putting out consistently good folk indie rock and has not put out a bad album since no. we started listening to him, but never gets the attention he deserves. That's totally fair. You know? It, I would include myself in the doesn't pay enough attention to Kevin yeah. Warby thing because I always listen once or twice and I'm like, okay. Yep. yep. That's all right. Uh, 36, I have Nivek. After its own death, slash nice. walking in a spiral towards the house. This was one of my favorite ambient albums of the year. It's absolutely beautiful. I'm glad it made it. Uh, 35, I have Brockhampton with Ginger, uh, one of the stronger rap albums. Brockhampton, I feel like, is another one that doesn't get talked about enough. Mm -hmm. I think certain people do, um, but have maybe yet to get the full critical consensus kind of like rap darling treatment yet it feels like there's a lot of different audiences for Brockhampton uh -huh. but no one audience Who's gonna, like champion it, and yeah. so there's like they, they, it's like they haven't found their real ch yeah champions yeah to put it that yeah. way um and of course we're talking about that from kind of like more of the a critical perspective because I do think there is a huge chunk of fans oh, yeah, out yeah, yeah, there yeah. Yep. you know um, number 34, I have Sharon Van Etten with Remind Me Tomorrow. Uh, again, this came out almost a year ago. A lot of these songs have been in our life for over a year. Um, but that one stuck with me all year. Uh, really good songs on there. Number 33, I have Purple Mountains with Purple Mountains. Uh, devastatingly sad in the wake of David Berman's suicide. Um, listening to this now with that knowledge is pretty haunting, actually. Yeah. Um, but his wit is intact. It the humor really is, intact. is. a lot of biting lyrics on here. Great lyrics. So. And it's dark, but knowing where he went and what happened with his life, he meant it. I, which That's, makes it better art 
in a way. Yeah, and still very sad. Um, I and I will be quite honest with you and the listeners right now. If he didn't die, this wouldn't be in my top fifty. Really? Yeah. So it's like be- a dark night, right? Dark night. Because I, again, I I think given what happened, this has more meaning and is more impactful. Yeah. And I'm not saying you know if you kill yourself, your art is better. But in this case, maybe because well, it's it, so closely tied to this, that's a difficult discussion, and and it's one that what lends it lends some credence to the struggle he was going through. Yeah, and it lends some you know in a dark way, and it's like obviously it's not condoning suicide because no. it's like guess who's not here to enjoy the accolades? Exactly him. Exactly like and never will. So that that's an interesting conversation and one I think you could have a lot about a, a lot of other art as well. Um, you know, Frightened Rabbit we mentioned earlier. That's one that's difficult to go back to. Um, whereas maybe this one isn't as difficult. Like I was able to listen to this pretty easily on my re-listens and you enjoyed really, it. You had a really intimate sort of special relationship with Frightened Rabbit's music. That's true. So, whereas I in. came to David Berman's music once he died. Yeah. Um, or like a week before he died. Exactly. Or yeah. Exactly. So you're right. It's very different. Uh, 32. I have Angel Olsen All Mirrors. Now this is one I thought would, would rank higher yeah. given how much I love Angel Olsen. I was never quite able to really wrap my arms around this album in a satisfying way. Yeah. Even though I can recognize its greatness. So I think this actually might be like her technically most impressive album, but the one I like less than Burn Your Fire for No Witness and My Woman. That's interesting because I have a different relationship with her. And yeah. It's on my list. It's higher and it actually is my favorite she's put out. Interesting. But, but, but I have been less a fan than you have okay. throughout. So I think as time goes by and I spend more time with Angel Olsen and I, I have a few more Angel Olsen phases where I'm listening to all of her stuff, this will make more sense yeah. in the context of her discography. Sure. But putting it at 32 right now. And then 31, I have Aldous Harding with Designer. Nice. More on that later. Uh, number 40 for me... Whitney forever turned around. Um, honestly, like you could look at this ranking as like a little bit of a disappointment because um, this album, I think, really did just sort of retread a lot of the same ideas yeah. and production and vibe of their first album. It's still good. It's still it's enjoyable. Still, it's still nice to listen to. I still love Whitney, and um, I'd listen to any one of these songs. I think that there's just a p- couple parts of the album that are like sort of uninspired. I yeah. think it has some of their best tracks. Yeah. Um, but it also has some of their worst. Yeah, this didn't make my top 50. I thought about it and then realized I didn't listen enough and it didn't have enough new ideas from Light Upon the Lake to really compel me to put it in my top 50. I, I would agree, too. There's moments that I just wanted a little bit more. And, mm-hmm. and I think... You know, we talked a lot about that, like, promo um, version of Forever Turned Around. Called just FTA. That didn't make it onto the album. I I never quite shook that disappointment. Me neither. And I think that... I always felt like a brilliant move would have been to have that as the first track. Me too. Have an album and then have the song Forever Turned Around, whatever that's going to be, as the last track. Or in the album somewhere. I could never shake that from the way I perceive this album or thought about it. Like... Just a slight disappointment, yeah. and it didn't get into my Because I was really hyped on that yeah. track. Uh, 39, uh, The National, I'm Easy to Find. I get, You could look at this as another disappointment if you yeah. really wanted to. It's still an excellent album. It still makes the list. It's one that I listened to a lot when it came out, and I have not returned to since then because of just like sheer I don't really want to. Fair. And haven't really felt like it. Fair. Um, 
it you know so it's disappointing from that regard because they're one of my favorite bands of the last 20 years um number 38 Faye Webster Atlanta Millionaires Club yeah this album's really really good and is this interesting blend of R&B some rap mm-hmm. um country uh with the pedal steel that goes through all these songs um She's a really nice singing voice and an interesting... This feels like the album before she figures it all out. That is so spot on. Because I really enjoyed this album. It didn't make my top 50. There's a few songs I love on it. Like, I think Johnny's an excellent song. Johnny's awesome. There's a couple other ones I really like. But yeah, I think the next one from her is going to be the one. Big shout out to Tom Brady. The next one. (laughs) Um, Number 37, Woods and Seagull, Hiding Places. I assume we'll hear more more on that that later. A little bit, yep. Uh, number 36 is where I put Deer Hunter. Why hasn't everything already nice. disappeared? It's a really solid album. It's yep. another solid Deer Hunter album. Um, and it does, yeah, it gets docked a little bit. I originally had it lower. And I was like, no, this is really good. Yeah. Like, it deserves to be up in the, in the 30s at least. Number 35, Better Oblivion Community Center with their self-titled album. Yes. Um, the joint project between Phoebe Bridgers and Connor O'Burst. Um, lots of good songs on here in that sort of folk rock singer-songwriter Zane, yes. uh, number thirty-four, Billie Eilish. When we all fall hey. asleep, where do we go? This album slaps. Duh. Yeah, this album fucking—it's it, good. It does. I, I. She's super talented, and she deserves recognition. I really like Billie Eilish. I really like this album. Didn't make my top fifty. Um, easily could have. Again, I think I said this in the songs one. Billie Eilish gets a lot of uh, publicity and attention already. I felt like there's enough of that going around where I didn't need to put it on my list but I do really like this album that's totally fair I think for me it's almost it's a makeup call not in not in relation to Billie Eilish herself but I think that a trap I've fallen into a lot in the past is not giving due recognition to like a pop artist who's on the come up yeah just because of the fact that they're that fair. just because they're like a buzz pop artist fair. a lot of times I've had a tendency to write them off and that's unfair and I this year with Billie Eilish, I've allowed myself to be like, no, I really like her. Uh-huh. I like what she's doing. And yeah, she's young, and some of that naivety comes out in the songwriting and Duh. in the songs. But like, they're cool, and she's clearly like a phenom at what yeah. she's doing. So yeah. she deserves attention. Uh, number thirty three is where I put William Tyler goes west. This is an album that stuck with me throughout the year. It's a nice uh, guitar driven instrumental album um, in a way that really no other album scratches a similar itch yeah. from this year. Number 32, Pair with a Healthy Earth. It's a nice album. This is one that um, I had the chance to meet two of the guys in yeah. Pair at a basement show in Manchester, New Hampshire. And they were, they were nice guys. They put on an, a, a good show, um, just the two of them. They harmonized really nicely together. Um, and this album, I think, is, is really worth listening to. It's it interesting. Is. Sometimes I get a little bit off-put by the song structures. Where it but, feels like... But, but I think that's actually to its credit because they are like pushing song structure in new and different ways for yeah, this genre. To the absolute, where it's just like, okay, like, so, chord, like, you're just doing whatever the fuck chord here. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. It was a really. It's, I, I like this album a lot. I, I feel like I can't return to it, even I've had, though I like it. Yeah. I've had moments with it, and it's kind of a time and place album that mm-hmm. I think when I look back, I won't have listened to it a ton in the in the ensuing years from here on out, but it's one that was important in 2019 for a few different reasons, including getting yes. to like meet these guys. Yes, and, like, and I think that whole experience you had at that show was like a, a highlight of yeah. the year. Yeah, it was um, cool. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, and 31 is where I put Sharon Van Etten, Remind Me Tomorrow. 
Nice. Um, an album that I think at the beginning of the year I expected to be higher, but yeah. to be honest, I never felt that much of an urge to go back to it. Yeah. Um, past like the January, February mark. That's fair. Yeah, I had a couple listens scattered throughout the year. It was enough to to get it onto my list at 34. Um, Another close ranking there. Yeah. Number 30 for me. Uh, and this was a late edition. It was added. A late edition, quite high. It was added today. Um, Charlie Bliss, Young Enough. Oh, wow. I think this album is excellent. This is the lead singer's kind of story of getting out of an abusive relationship, making all sorts of changes, and learning some lessons in her life. I think the lyrics on this are really good and true to going through tumultuous times in your 20s and learning more about yourself and others and what you owe them and what you owe yourself. Um, on top of the fact that the songs are incredibly fucking catchy. Yeah. This didn't hit me until very recently how catchy these songs are. Highly recommend going back and listening to this if you did not get the opportunity to. Um, really, really enjoyed it. few of my favorite songs of the year are on this album. My 29, another Charlie. Charlie XCX mm. with her album Charlie. Okay. This was another late edition. This was not going to be on my top 50 up until five days ago. Now it's in your top 30. It's in my top 30. This album, Jake, is the prince that was promised. This album is when I drunkenly said back New Year's 2016 into 17 yes. or whatever. Or it could have been 17 into 18. I don't even remember. That Years Charlie XCX... Now was the premier pop artist that we have right now. Yep. This album is cashing that bet in so many ways. This is not pop music in the way that you think of it. This is future pop. This, so I mentioned 100 Gex, 1,000 Gex earlier. Apparently, Charlie XCX is like familiar with them. They were on tour with her. A lot of influence from that on this album, you can tell. If you listen to both of those with that in mind, you're like, Oh, there is true innovation happening in a pop context from this Charlie XCX album. Whoa. The first seven, eight songs on here are can't miss. Some of the best pop songs I've heard in the last couple of years. I think it does trail off a little bit on the back half. It is too long. If this was 10 minutes and three tracks shorter, it's a better album for it. But holy shit, the first seven songs on here hit and they hit hard. So this ended up in my top 30 at number 29. Okay, that's After a strong recommendation. Go go back and dude, you know what? And this did not this did not influence me. This was number 1 on Fantano's list. Whoa. This is number 1. Interesting. Yeah. So, did you get a chance to listen? No. Listen to this fucking yeah. album. No, I never Cuz there's that to song it. Gone on it that ranked very high on my songs list yeah. too. Yeah. Listen to Charlie. Okay, yeah, I will. Number 28, I Have Great Grandpa with Four of Arrows. I think this was one of the strongest outputs from like that emo alternative world, which is such a it's an amorphous, fluid genre at this point. Because they have a different sound. They have a really they clean do. sound. Exactly. And they kind of started that way, but I think they transcended that a little bit with this one. I, I really did enjoy it. You mentioned songs like Mono No Oare, Digger, uh, Green Water, the first track. Like this... I, hit me at a time when like I needed it it was right in the midst of this move was kind of feeling a lot so it was good for that 
Number 27, I have Better Oblivion Community Center with their self-titled Better Oblivion Community Center. Another fairly close ranking for us. Yeah, there. yeah. Um, I thought it would be higher for you, to be honest. Yeah, I thought so, too. And I realized the strength of, like, six of the songs is the real heart of that album. And then there's a few others where I'm like, eh. Yeah. And, again, 27 is nothing to sneeze at. It was just such a strong year you know? I always felt like with that album people were so excited it happened I know it floated I know. a little bit yes, on that yes I, I would agree with that but I, I mean I liked it yeah. I liked it I'm happy where this ended up for me it feels right yep. um, number 26 I have Danny Brown with You Know What I'm Saying oh nice that's, yep. that's actually that's pretty high 25 The National I Am Easy to Find um, this is still a very good album I think we it's well documented how we both feel about it. You mentioned earlier how you feel. Mine's something similar where it's a little unfair because you're grading the national against themselves. We had this discussion with Deer Hunter. Exactly. It's the same thing. It's the same exact thing. It just so happens that like they get dinged a little bit for not reaching the standard of some of their past albums. I still really enjoy this album. I still listen to it more than almost any album this year. And I think, but in some ways, like, I had to be honest with myself and be like, how much did you want to listen to this? How much mm-hmm. did you really love it as an album? And the answer was, like, enough, right. but not a ton. Right. That's and that's fair. just the truth. That's fair. Yeah. So I came in at 25. Number 24, I have Big Thief with two hands. Nice. Oh, okay. Uh, a little lower than I thought. This was the second of two albums they put out this year. I think this has some of their best songs, like Shoulders and Not on it. Um Again, just speaks to the strength of the year that we had. That comes in at 24. 23, Pup, Morbid Stuff. This is another close one for us. This album, again, criminally underrated. This is every bit as good, dare I say, even a little more consistent than The Dream Is Over. Wow. Um, I loved this album this year. Didn't get talked about enough. Um, Pup just went for it, and, and I think they knocked it out of the park. 22, Oh So Oh So, Basking in the Glow. Nice. Um, I put Pup and Oh So Oh So kind of together here on purpose. Those are almost interchangeable for me. Um, but I think this Oh So album is excellent, consistent all the way through. 21, Earl Sweatshirt, Feet of Clay EP. Uh, this was the one kind of EP ranking that I had on here. I just think what Earl is doing in terms of pushing rap forward um, is really interesting. His flow is great. His production's great. He's doing stuff that's just a little left of center, but still incredibly palatable. Um, so really impressed with with Feet of Clay. Uh, for me, number 30, I had Mannequin Pussy with Patience. Mm. Um, it's, this is another one that like I didn't listen to it a ton throughout the year, but when I was listening to it, I was really enjoying it. I had a really good experience listening to this on like, a long walk. Mm-hmm. Um it's short too. It's only it it's is. like twenty five minutes or something yep. like that. Um, it's like the perfect length for e- this album. Yeah, and it's also like one that, like, given the subject matter of some of what seems to be yeah. going on for the singer here, not the easiest listen for right. sure from a subject matter standpoint. But I think important and and valuable. I still love you, you stupid fuck. <laughs> <laughs> what a line. Yes. Um, so this is one I know we'll hear more about later from you, but at 29, I have Hand Habits with Placeholder. Yep, it's coming later. Um, number 28 is where I put James Blake, Assume Form. Really strong run with it early in the year. Some of my favorite songs of the year. Um, really transcended what I thought I would get out of a James Blake album at yeah, all. Yeah, truly. Uh, 27, Vagabond with her self-titled Vagabond. Um, th- this album, I think, is packed. I think it's 10 tracks. Yeah. I think every one delivers um, in a way that 
is totally different than the first Vagabond album. She took which, a step. Here. She took a step, and she's doing different, I think, more interesting mm-hmm. stuff with her songs um, in a way that I really appreciated. Number 26, um, Marika Hackman, Any Human Friend. Yeah. I loved this album. Yep. I listened to it again recently a couple times, and man, it's really good. It rocks. Um, and there are some excellent, excellent songs on here, like um, Conventional Ride, All Night, um, uh, forgetting this other one, come undone. Come undone. Come undone is a jam. The one. Um, really awesome album and like interesting. It just, she has her, her own kind of sound going yeah. on um, with her with her um, with this album. Yes, and I think that like a lot of other rock artists aren't doing. Twenty five is where I put Bonnie Vare. I I. Nice. Okay. Uh, I assume we'll hear more about that you one. You will. 24, and this is one that's close to where you put it. I have Oso Oso basking in the nice. glow. Nice, yeah, two Thinking off on 22. that one. 22, yep. Uh, 23, Solange, When I Get Home. Um, an album that, for what it's worth, I enjoyed more than A Seat at the Table. Me too. That could say as much about my ignorance um, <laughs> as it does about the quality yeah. of these albums. Yeah. Um, but something about this album really did it for me. The kind of kaleidoscopic dreamy nature of the album my skin uh, my logo did a lot for me as a note um big friend of the pod quinn callahan yeah. let us know that um yes. cp time means colored people yes. time so we got dangerously close to being like, uh, offensive on this podcast so and and arguably were offensive yeah i think it's important that people know we didn't know what it meant we did not I think that's even what our discussion was, it was. that we didn't know what CP time meant. <laughs> yes. Now knowing, we yes. probably wouldn't have been so cavalier no, in our no, conversation about it. Um, so that's now acknowledged. Number 22, <laughs> Purple Mountains with Purple Mountains. Mm. Um, yeah, just a really touching record. And like I think really fun in its own way, actually, in terms of like it's obviously horrendously sad given the subject matter of what we knew would come. But like it's funny in a way that I... Get it is. and that like is similar to my worldview, which is not the greatest thing. But like a lot of what David Berman is saying throughout these tracks, like resonates with me. Me too. And in a, in a way that's scary because I realize, well, this guy has these thoughts and lives it. And what does that say about me when I also have these in looking at what happened to him? Um, and to me, this album feels like 2019 in a in. In the darkest of ways. Like, when we yeah. look at 2019, a lot of good happened, um, a lot of bad, and I think this really lives in those bad, dark feelings that are around this year. But it has song structures and song styles that belie that whole thing. Yeah. Because these the songs are like kind of like barroom blues We're songs. We're drinking margaritas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and like, they're like these kind of like... And the way David Berman delivers vocals in kind of a monotone talk singing way but a lot of these songs are based in pretty simple rock mm-hmm. motifs mm-hmm. um so it's a it's an interesting one to go back to uh number 21 i put pup morbid stuff yeah. i agree that it's like it's on par with it uh is. with um what's that the dream is over the dream is over i wanted to call it if this tour doesn't kill you i know that's not what the album's called um it's excellent and I, this is one that really shot up the rankings on re-listen yeah. Morbid stuff's great, and it, and I think people it did get overshadowed to yeah, your point, and I think it, it should be uh, reevaluated. By well, if you people. remember, it came out at a time. I think that was the same day uh, Titanic Rising came out, right. and a couple other ones came out. So I get it. Um, was that your twenty-one? That was twenty-one. Okay, uh, my number twenty, Finesh, Algora, 
Um, one of the best ambient albums I've heard in a while. Um, this, I listened to a lot while working and just kind of like whenever I needed an ambient album, this was my go-to to the point where, and this isn't easy to have happen with an ambient record. Like there's certain flows of it where I like, I feel shit. Yeah. Where I'm just like, oh yeah, I feel this in a way I would feel like another album. And that does not always happen with ambient, but this one like really hit me this year. So that made it into my top 20. Number 19, I have Woods and Seagull with Hiding Places. Um, this is, I think, one of the best rap albums. Um, and in fact, this might be my highest ranking rap album now that I'm looking through the rap. Yeah, tr traditionally rap album. This, is, the this is my highest at number 19. Wow. Uh, Woods and Seagull with Hiding Places. I think like Spongebob, Spiderhole. Um, there is a, a good one. Yeah, th there is a vibe to this album um, that channels some of that darkness I just talked about, but is also maybe doing some of the things that Earl Sweatshirt or JPEG did in terms of like pushing rap to different places in terms of song structure or what's happening with the beat or lyrics or whatever um, that I was just really impressed and taken with. So uh, Woods and Seagull hiding places at number 19. Number 18, I have Mannequin Pussy with Patience. Nice. Um, 17, and I know we'll be hearing about this from you, Halado Negro with This Is How You Smile. Yep. I think this album's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and really struck me on re-listen just how good it is. Uh, wish it could have been higher, to be honest with you, but the strength of this top 17 in my opinion is just like it, it couldn't it couldn't it couldn't puncture it um number 16 vampire weekend father of the bride um this feels exactly right for where it should be for me i i think this is objectively good enough to be a top 10 if not top 5 album i think i have tired a little bit of the way the very considered and almost perfect way Vampire Weekend songs are structured. Um, That's a really good take, actually. It's their greatest strength. It's also, I think, their greatest flaw, where it can sometimes feel sterilely good. Yeah, that's the album's biggest And um, I didn't always want to return to it, but the amount of strong tracks on here is just undeniable. So I, I think 16 is exactly right for this album. Um, at number 15, I have Deceiver by Dive, where... It's interesting to compare that with Vampire Weekend, especially two artists who came back after a little bit of a hiatus. I think Vampire Weekend is is better, technically, but I had more enjoyment and emotional connection listening to an album like Deceiver. Um, and where, these albums are doing such different things, too. Absolutely. Um, and I think Zach Cole Smith has found some calm or clarity in his battle with addiction. And he always said is the is our was a, a getting sober album when in fact he was still on drugs. This one feels like the real honest. I'm now sober album and called it deceiver in terms of like himself. And that's what he did to people. He deceived them. He deceived maybe all of his fans and listeners uh, with a false narrative about the last album um, I don't think this album got talked about enough. I think this is better than Is The Is Are, actually. I think it's more consistent throughout. I think I agree with you. Um, I loved this album, um, and I know I'll return to it 
frequently when I want that dive itch to be scratched. Big My Bloody Valentine vibes on this one, even more so than than their first two. It actually is sneaky how much heavier this album is yeah. than their previous work in a way that I didn't even realize upon initial listens. Walls of guitar. Until I went back to hear Ocean and some of yes. his DSR. It's like, oh yeah. like the- Those are more beautiful. Yeah. This is more like gut-punching powerful. And it's great yes. for that. Yes. My number 14, I have Solange when I get home. Nice. Um, I, I, I would have been shocked if you told me at the beginning of this year that a Kanye West album would not rank in my top 50, nor a Tallest Man on Earth album. Yeah. That neither of those would rank in my top right. 50, but this Solange one would be a top 15. Or, or, or that a uh, national album wouldn't crack it, your top 20. Exactly. But Solange, let alone yeah. your top 10. I, you know, every time I listened, I was just struck by how well done this album is. Um, just the message, the lyrics, the song structure, everything about it, I was just so impressed by um, and liked a lot more than A Seat at the Table as well, like you said. And maybe that says something about me. Maybe that says something about our perspective, which I think is true. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, it, I just, I loved this album. Uh, number 13, Black Midi Schlagenheim. Nice. This didn't quite crack the top 10, but, you know, Wow. What a ride this album is. The opening track, 953, might be the best opening track of the entire year. Um, I'm still astounded at what they're able to do with that song. This reinvents rock music in a very real way. Um, and I can't wait to see what this band does next. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's a really exciting prospect, too. Is This is a debut. Yeah, seriously. These kids are young. They're like 19. They're very young. Yeah. Um, number 12, I have Jenny Aval. With the practice of love. Nice. Uh, this might actually be my favorite Jenny of all. I loved Blood Bitch. I, I've enjoyed uh, Apocalypse Girl and some of her other stuff. But the way this approaches the idea of having kids, especially, and what that sort of means as a choice for you as a person in this world, I found fascinating this year. Given the fact that we're getting a little bit older, um, people around me are, are having children, um, and that's something you need to explore and weigh. And I think this album does that in a really interesting and, and frankly experimental but still very palatable way. Number 11, before we get into our top 10s, I have Tom York, Anima. I think this is on the level of certain Radiohead albums. I think this is just as good as King of Limbs or Moonshape Pool. It's on that level for me. Um, really impressed because I, you know, I, I didn't think a Tom York solo album could be as good as this one. And if you pair it with the uh, visual, the kind of music video that he did, Which it's on Netflix. Um, it's really breathtaking and just shows that Tom York is still pushing things in a really interesting direction. So that just missed my top 10. For a little bit, it was at my 10, but I flipped it with another one. So that comes in at 11. Okay, at number 20 for me, I had Earl Sweatshirt, Feet of Clay, uh, for all the reasons you mentioned before. Um, another close ranking. I yeah, 21. really close on that. Number 19, I had Jenny Lewis with On the Line. Yeah. Uh, this is a really fun album with some excellent uh, songs on it. Jenny Lewis is someone who was like, frankly, not even on my radar before yeah. this year. Um, this is an album that meant a lot to me this year. Uh, number 18, you just talked about it, Tom York, Anima. Mm-hmm. Um, it's excellent, and it's it, it. I think it is on par with some yep. uh, of the like sort of second tier Radiohead yes. stuff, um, which is really saying something. Number seventeen, 
Mike, Tears of Joy. Yeah. This wow. is an album that was like really big for me this year and um, that I ended up actually liking a little bit better than even the Earl yeah. project from nice. this year. Um, grouping it with Earl because they have very similar sort of vibes. It's it's a little bit mumbly. It's a little bit mm-hmm. glitchy in the mm-hmm. production. Um, an excellent album. And I went back and checked out May God Bless Your Hustle, Mike's yeah. previous album on SoundCloud and really liked that too. Nice. Um, this is somebody to, to check out. Uh, number 16 is where I put Jenny Haval, The Practice of Love. Um, totally agree with um, the, all your takes on what this album talks about about being alive, first of all, yep. about continuing the human race. There's yep. a lot of interesting commentary about being a woman that, frankly, like I couldn't understand myself or try to uh, explain that it goes that like comes out of this album. I think this is a very human album, um, and I think the practice of love is a great title for it. I think that's pretty all encompassing. Like I, I just think of um, a couple of the lines from it. Like I think there's that. It's, it might be the first track where. She's like, look at the grass. Yes, yeah. This is a godless place. I was just like, oh my god. Whoa. Yeah, like it's uh, mind blowing. Yeah. Uh, number fifteen, Aldis Harding, designer. Uh, love this album big time. It's a really sort of quirky, interesting folk album um, with with little hints of Nick Drake in there yeah. to me. Um, but also kind of a flavor all its own. I felt like the Aldous Harding, the Hand Habits, Julia Jacqueline, Kate LeBon, they were all this sort of like female-driven indie folk, but like all with their own flavor this year that yeah. really made up a core of what I listened to this year in yeah, a big too. way, more than like any other year. I think in earlier years these would maybe have been like white dude bands yeah yeah and like i don't know if it's just like just the year or whatever they're now like these awesome female driven artists totally um so yeah just an interesting thing i noticed this year yeah and aldis harding just has a sound that i like instantly sort of loved yeah and 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 hit me in a way that really worked with songs like the barrel or fixture picture um, and there's others on there for, as well. I'm realizing now that you mentioned Kate LeBon, um, I snubbed it by accident. Yeah. Kate LeBon's album probably would have been in the, in the 40s sure. somewhere. And so just consider it an honorable mention, I guess, from this point. Um, cause yeah, I, it's not on my list, but mm-hmm. it probably should have been. Uh, number 14, this is, I think our closest ranking so far. That's where I put Deceiver by Dive. Nice. Um, I think you had it 15. I did. Yeah. It's excellent. I, and I agree with you that it's. I think it's a more fulfilling album than is the Azar. Yeah. Um, on the whole, for all the reasons you said, like I think everything that Zachary Cole Smith probably thought that album was going to be, yeah, it was a little bit of a deception. And this album is a more clear-eyed sort of statement. Mm-hmm. Um, number thirteen is where I put um, "Happy Just to See You's album. Nice. This was a big one for me. This was yeah. a, a local band who I got to see a lot at different shows yep. throughout um, my sort of initial foray into playing music or yeah. going to more stuff on a local level um and they're awesome they're a, a group of really nice guys and and the album itself is excellent um it's only eight tracks and it it's one that i stuck with more than a lot of the albums on this list i listen to it a ton mm-hmm. um i think it's really strong and like again this is not one that's going to be on many people's radar and like a, from an objective perspective is it a top album of 2019? I, I, I guess probably not from a cultural perspective or whatever, but yeah. for me, 
It was really important. These and, are our list. That's all that matters. Yeah, exactly. Number 12, Big Thief, Two Hands. Um, more on Big Thief later, but yeah. this album, I think, um, especially when it came out, sort of just felt like the crest of a wave yeah, for this band. Um, and it dipped a little bit in my rankings lower than I thought uh, it would. I thought it would be like up in the probably top seven even. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it's it's worth acknowledging that there are points in this album that I think are a little bit lower in terms uh, yeah, of Big sure. Thief quality. Um, I'm really not going to hold that against. Uh, like, no, the only no, time no, no. I will hold that against this album is literally in these end of year rankings. Yeah. At any other time, I'll be like, "What a run!" and like, still a high, like, very high watermark for them. Totally agree. Uh, number eleven, just missing my top ten, is Nick Cave and the Bad Seas with Ghostine, um, or Ghostine, however you want to Ghostine say. Ghostine dances. <laughs> <laughs> um. Just, like maybe the most like happy sounding lyric on that album. Just gorgeous and absolutely gutting and crushing in yeah. like every way you could imagine. Um, I think it's arguably even better than his previous album, which I also loved. Yep. yep. Um, more on it in a little bit. Yeah, we'll hear more about this one. So diving into our top tens, coming in at my number ten, and we'll we'll go back and forth here. Um, I have hand habits with placeholder. Uh, I just nice. mentioned this. Kind I figured of this would be in your top ten. Fell into that like indie folk singer songwriter vibe this year this just hit me in exactly the right way I, I just always wanted to return to it um it's really excellent it is it's consistent throughout um it, it's actually it, it does some interesting stuff uh there's like that weird electronic like um instrumental track in the middle that like seemingly doesn't fit at all but actually fits perfectly um songs like what lovers do. Uh, what lovers do. Um, placeholder. The list goes on. I, I just, I don't know. I came back to this album a lot. I loved it. It's my number 10. My number 10 is All Mirrors by Angel Olsen. Wow. Um, in the top 10. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Just made it. Um, it. Uh, I think it's excellent. I think it's a really grand statement from her. For me, this yep. is where everything finally clicked with Angel ah, Olsen. Yes. Um. And again, we were coming from different perspectives on that because True. you seem to have been on the train with her for a while. I was sort of like an occasional occupant sure. of the train. Yep. I'd get on, I'd get off at the next stop. <laughs> yep. You know, and I was like, okay, like I get the Angel Olsen thing. I'm not totally in. Um, I think this is the album that sort of, I think, proved her as a real um, sort of a master songwriter and yeah. creator in a way. And, and I really, really liked it. Nice. My number nine, I have Fontaine's DC with Dogro. Mm. Uh, I went back and forth between this one and Anima as what would get into my top 10. And during my re-listens, I just realized that, you know, this Fontaine's DC album, they're, they're a punk band from Dublin, Ireland, and the DC in their name sounds for Dublin City. Um, and it's just such a fresh, exciting debut from a band and uh, in a genre that I don't think gets a lot of attention or... Uh, certainly doesn't sound this exciting uh, or speaks to what kind of we're all going through in 2019. Um, I would highly recommend checking this out if you haven't. Um, some rockers on here. Yeah, I have checked it out one time and I really liked yeah. it and I just didn't go back to it. Songs it was... like television screens, yeah. too real. Is it too real for ya? It's, <laughs> it's just awesome. It's one I wish I spent more time with. Uh, number nine for me is Lana Del Rey, Norman fucking Rockwell. Um, really excellent. Arguably her best album. I think it's my favorite. Oh, I, I think it's 
it's got to be locked in as her best. It depends who you what ask. An achievement. Some, some, really, some Lana heads maybe don't think so. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. More on that in a little bit. I'm thinking of big friends of the pod, Erica and Trey, who I know are massive Lana fans, and I would be interested to hear what their number, their favorite Lana album Interesting. is. When this came out, I don't think it was both of their favorites. I, I think this is so clearly her best, but um, to each their own. I think that the track list suffers from some weak songs, if I'm being I would agree. Honest. And I, I, will addre- I will address that when we get to uh, yes. that on my list. And I think that the... Go ahead. You do your thing. Okay. Um... You will return to Lana. Number eight, Bonnie Vare, I I. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. I feel like Bonnie Vare is starting to trend into this we take him for granted thing yep. because I actually think he realized that. He's like, I'm bored being this like auteur genius. I'm going to just like really rely on like the band and the people around me to do interesting stuff and to contribute. And I think it, this although doesn't sound entirely different from something like 22 a million actually makes me feel better about what's ahead for Bonnie Vare. Um, and I don't think, I, I actually think this is better than 22 a million in a Do way. You? Wow. A little, maybe a little bit. It's it, If not, it's very, very close. Wow. Um, I don't think this is talked about enough to be honest with you. Yeah. So. It's one of those tough things. It's like a, I remember George Harrison saying about Rubber Soul and Revolver. He's like, I they could have been the same album, which I disagree with right. as a take. But that's how I sort of feel about these two. I know that they have distinctions and there's differences in in, in all that. But like for me, they blur a little bit, yep. and I know they will continue yep. to do that's that. That's fair. Uh, my number eight is Wise Blood, Titanic Rising. I know we'll hear more about it from you, yes, but we it's will. it's like it really is a pretty mammoth achievement um, from Wise Blood and. The song writing on it is excellent. The production is maybe second to none on albums this mm. year. Um, Jonathan Rado of uh, Foxygen and many other. He, yes. he, I think he at this point you could argue he's more famous for producing yeah, albums than point. for his own projects. That's a good point. Because um, I know he produces some of Father John's stuff. Um, he has a real way of getting the clearest, like yeah. nostalgic seventies yeah. recording sound. Um, out of artists, not to diminish at all what what's going on um, with Wiseblood. What is the what is her name again? I'm trying to forget. Natalie, yeah, Natalie something. Merling, Wise. That sounds right. Blood is that is that correct? Natalie Murring. Yeah, yes. Natalie. Yeah. Um, incredible songs on here. We've talked over and over again about movies and drama every day. Yeah. Uh, it's really excellent. I know we'll hear more about we, it. We will. Later. We will. My number seven, uh, Jessica Pratt, Quiet Signs. Nice. This one's been around since, what, February yep. of this year, so almost a year. Um, one of my most listened to of the year. I could listen to this album at any time. Uh, I think it's beautiful. I think it takes the kind of indie folk singer-songwriter thing and pushes it to a very unique place. I know we'll be hearing about that from you soon as well. For sure. Uh, number seven for me uh, is Black Midi Schlagenheim. I included yes. it. I ended up listening to this album a good amount down the stretch. Hell yeah. Um, at, at one point during one particularly like inspired listen to it, I was like, fuck this. This is like five. This is number <laughs> yes. four. I had it beating on other albums. I looked at the ranking again <laughs> today with a clearer head. Yeah. I bumped it back a yeah. few spots. I just feel like it's for all the reasons you said, this is one of the most exciting debuts from a rock band in a long time. Um and it's a band with a real interesting sound. 
that I don't think I can say I've really heard before. I, yeah, I I've heard elements of it before, yep. but I don't think I've heard a band that is doing things in the same way they're doing. I think this album will continue to age well, and we might look back, or at least I will, at the number 13 ranking and be like, ooh, that was much too low. This is You said this about an album earlier, and I'm forgetting which one it was, but this is one... Where I put it here almost because I know how much I'll continue to yeah, listen to it. Yeah, that like I, it. I did that with. Um, it was something in your forties. I think it was uh, JPEG Mafia. Yeah, 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 that's the one you mentioned. Yep. Uh, my number six. You mentioned it earlier. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds nice. with Ghost Teen. I agree with you with everything you said. This is haunting. It's dark. Uh, it's every bit as good, if not better, than Skeleton Tree. Um, I had a great memory and experience with this when it first came out driving through the white mountains it was kind of a misty cloudy day and really lended itself to the vibe of this album and it just struck me in such a real way uh, i think this is a, a masterpiece and caps off a trilogy of albums that he set out to do starting with push the sky away continuing with skeleton tree um, and then of course you have the subplot of his son tragically dying um, which I believe the the title Ghost Teen is in reference to. Um, just haunting. Absolutely haunting. Yeah, I agree with your masterpiece designation on it, for sure. Uh, number six, Magdalene by FKA Twigs. Another very close ranking. Yeah. Uh, that's my number five, actually. Okay, so we can, so talk we can just talk about it. Yeah, that's yeah. my five. Um, this is... You know, I, I originally had this up around like 10 or 11. It was... Yep sneaking into the top 10 i had my re-listen and was just like fuck it this album is so good this is a masterpiece jake yeah i agree with you and i i really think it's um i didn't get into lp1 that much uh her first album i remember liking that ep that came out in the meantime between these mm -hmm. two albums um but this one really did something for me that was different than that other stuff uh i, I think that fka twigs is doing just really interesting things from a production standpoint. And her voice, she uses it in such interesting ways throughout. Um, a song that, that keeps sticking out to me is Holy Terrain. That's one that mm -hmm. the more I listened, I realized like how catchy that chorus mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. um, and she is it Future that's on that? Yeah. How well she uses someone like Future on a track like I know. that. And gets him to do something really interesting yep. in the context of that song. Um Home with you is another stunner. Cellophane, you yeah, have to mention. cellophane. Mirrored heart is another one for yep. me. When her voice really like goes for it, I, I like feel that every time. Um, yeah, this album is just so impressive. Uh, and and you know, I I think I did listen to that first FKA Twigs album, and I think there's songs um, on it that are excellent, but I was never able to fully embrace it as a full album and that's yeah, been the same with some of her eps as well i've always been like there's potential with fka twigs i didn't connect with them and this one i finally was like oh yeah it, it, this one finally made that connection mm -hmm. i finally kind of felt it and was like it carved out a place in my life and that's what it takes yes to be on this really important list <laughs> my list of albums well that snuck into my top five so what what is your five jake so number five for me is uh Helado negro this is how you smile nice. um you, so you were right when you said we'd hear more about it. Uh, yeah, the more I thought about it, the more I realized this is one of the, in the conversation, the short list for most important... Fantasma Vaga. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> just his whole sound. Anytime one of these songs would come on, I was all ears. I was ready for it. Yeah. Um, 
I had good moments with with you on this album, with my brother on this mm -hmm. album, where like a lot of people I knew who also liked it, um, and it's just filled with it is like the perfect mood for a lot of different things. I it think is. it would be a good driving album. Yep. It's a good album uh, to work to. Yep. Just uh, hanging out, yeah. like to have on in the background. It's good. It, it's good as an active listen. It's good as a background listen. Yeah, and the the, the piano in it's really nice. The way that uh, his voice sounds throughout, I think, is is haunting and pretty beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it just it, the, it's just an excellent album, I think, on all fronts that ended up making it pretty high on my list. Nice. My number four. We said we'd talk about it again. We're talking about it now. Lana Del Rey, yeah. Norman fucking Rockwell. Okay. This album is Lana Del Rey's masterpiece. She has never put out an album this good before or with her sights set on, on putting out a classic. So I yeah. think Born to Die, fine. There's great tracks on it. Sure. We had video games as a top 10 song of the decade. I think both of us did, or at least yeah. I did. Blue Jeans, Die Blue Jeans, do. sure. Born to Die, the, the title track. Um, I think Ultraviolence is maybe her weakest. Honeymoon is very good. Um, but she has never, you know, and we can, I don't know. I don't really want to talk about what is it, Lust for Life or whatever. That yeah. was fine. That was like her big pop swing this and she's huge songs on that album she does massively popular this album norman fucking rockwell is the combination of all of those albums it's everything lana could have and is based off the promise of something like video games like when i heard video games i knew someday we would get norman fucking rockwell i think this perfectly speaks to where we're at in 2019 in a lot of different ways culturally environmentally politically um, the culture's lit, Jake, and I had a ball. Like, the greatest sums up everything, Um, not to mention songs like Mariner's Apartment Complex, the title track, Norman fucking Rockwell, Venice Bitch, um, Love is a Dangerous Thing. I will... Hope is a Dangerous Thing. Or right? Hope is a Dangerous yeah, Thing. Yeah. I will agree with you. The sequencing of this album is off. Um, I think there's a couple missteps on here in terms of songs that could have and should have been cut yeah. to make it a tighter track list um i have taken upon myself i've i've lifted that burden of <laughs> for 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 listeners i have made uh, a sean edit of this track list i have thrown out a couple of the songs i've rearranged a few my quibble with the edit is removing cinnamon girl which i love but i yeah I, that's I fine to with. each their own yeah um so, yes. Is it too long? Yes. But that's kind of where we're at with albums like this, especially an artist as big as Lana. This is just what happens. People pack the track list full of songs that maybe shouldn't be there anymore. That being said, it's still a masterpiece. I think even the track list as it is without my edit or with those songs still on it is still very, very good. Um, it just It's so 2019. I'm going to be returning to this album for years to come. Um, I always am down to listen to it and always want to listen to it despite its length. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think this is by far her best. Um, could have been number one for me in a different year if these other three didn't happen to come out. I was a little surprised it wasn't actually. My I, number one overall, yeah, I really? Actually, I really expected you to put it at number interesting. one. Interesting. Yeah, I thought that's where you were like interesting. heading. Oh, okay. So th that's interesting that it, that's not Okay, well that's my number four. My number four is House of Sugar by Sandy Alex G., um, I think a nice step forward from what he did with Rocket. I think he um, moves 
the, his songwriting and production and the, the way the band plays together in a whole new direction on this album and that's really interesting had my favorite song of the year and one of my favorite songs of the decade in Gretel mm-hmm. plus a, a slew of other oh, yeah. awesome tracks Taking Hope um, Sugar House that mm-hmm. live track um, yeah just another really big uh, important album to me from Sandy Alex G my number three Sandy Alex G, House of Sugar. Uh, I agree with everything you said. This is my favorite Alex G album. This slightly edges out Rocket for me for that title. Um, yeah, songs like Gretel and Hope. Um, and even the more experimental stuff like Taking. Um, really, really interesting. And I had the added benefit of seeing them live. That was very impactful. Um, I almost wanted to put this at I, I briefly thought about putting this as number one yeah. actually um, just in terms of this is another one I'm always down to listen to could, I could just listen to this on repeat like forever I think there's so much variance in the types of songs you're getting here and it's relatively quick like by the time it's done I want to start it again yeah, that totally. always happens with me and with Sandy Alex G too yeah because yeah. it's a sound you can get lost exactly in. exactly yep. I totally so agree with that he's a world unto himself and I think put out his finest album this year so House of Sugar is my number three um, my number three is Big Thief UFOF um, for me it's actually not even my favorite Big Thief album I think Capacity is which maybe that year it came out I didn't rank it as high but I think yeah. with retrospect um, it's my favorite, but UFOF, um, of the two excellent albums that came out this year from Big Thief, this I think is just the more excellent album yeah. um, by by a couple notches, um, loaded with incredible songs, Cattails, the, the title track, UFOF, um, I'm forgetting the name, Contact I think is yep. the first track. Yep. Um, I remember the moment I heard that first song on there and I heard Adrian Lanker's scream. Yep. At the beginning, at the sort of the end, middle to end of contact, and it, it bursts into that kind of heavier, harder rocking moment in the song. Um, I knew we were in for something, and, and that didn't disappoint. No, for sure. uh, and this is actually my number two. Wow, we did that with a lot of the yes, top we did. Six, I we think. did. Yeah, uh, yeah. UFO is my number two. I think this was the superior of the two albums they put out this year. I would also agree that Capacity is still slightly my favorite Big Thief album. Just just slightly over this one. Um, yeah, I think you're getting everything you want from Big Thief on this record. You're getting the rockers. You're getting the very slowed down kind of vibey ones. Uh, th- what, what a year for them. Uh, this ranking is influenced by the fact that they had such a strong year as well and deserve recognition for that. Seeing them live was excellent. Songs like Cattails um, and Not, from I think those are like their two best they put out this year. This band is just operating on another level. Um, we're really lucky that we get this. But I do want to return to this idea that a, a, a band that puts out two albums this good should be getting more attention and acclaim than even they are. Like, yeah. they are acclaimed across the board. It doesn't feel like the popularity is quite there yet to the point where it should be. I agree, and it's it's rare to see a band click as a unit as much as it seems like they have. Um, and uh, they're really tight on the recordings and, and live, um, and it seems like the the band locks in really tightly mm. around Adrian Linker's yes. songwriting, which is pretty idiosyncratic and yes. sort of different. Um, I agree with you. I think it's the era. It's the time we live in where yes. a rock band's not going to be celebrated. Now, I've seen some of those criticisms. We've talked about it before. Like I saw some tweet where it was like Big Thief exists to round out 
white dudes lists so that they can include a female that, representative. That, there's so much wrong with that. It First of all, they as... don't exist to be that. No. That's fucked up and you are subverting like Their incredibly powerful songs and work. So f- fuck that. I hate that. Yeah, me too. That's not their fault. Um, and if this is a way that an audience who doesn't normally engage with female-led artists gets more into that, then great. Like, yeah. fuck you for, like... Well, because in, like, the in music, Twitter was... Have, like, I, I don't know. It was it really was in my little bubble. I Just yeah. a bunch of music writers had retweeted me, like, who's... Because the tweet was, I need to find the original tweet of this. Like, it was someone being like, I need to find where I saw this take. Yeah, yeah, Because it's so yeah. good. And it was a bunch of music writers being like, this sounds like Ian Cohen. And Ian Cohen being like, this sounds like blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It would have been this person. And I was like, you guys are in a little circle jerk. And they, I fucking they are. hate music writers sometimes. Yes. I, I, I get so mad about that shit. It's interesting because I mentioned I enjoyed music on a net level way more this year. Yeah. I also abandoned Twitter in that from Twitter. bubble. Yeah. And it helps a lot. Yeah. So you can just be like, well, I like this. So, Makes sense. Yeah. And remove it from any of that bullshit. Um, are you, did you say your number two? That was my number two, UFOF. UFOF. Yep. Uh, my number two, probably not surprising, probably not exciting, Vampire Weekend, Father of the Bride. Number two? I, yeah. You know, I think that is a little um, surprising how high it ended up ranking. Yeah. I mean, it was. I think it was number one for me at the mid, mid-year ranking. Or yeah. it was number two behind what is still my number one. Okay. Yep. Um, well, yeah. And so these didn't change, which is why I say it's not exciting or they didn't change much. Um, I haven't listened to this a ton since I had a really heavy period with it over like a couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think it's excellent. I still think it stands up with some of their best work. I agree with your general knock on it that it sounds a little too polished, a little too clinical and clean. Um, I, I take that as an accepted fact. Yeah. Um but I think the songwriting on it is great. I think that for its length and for the number of tracks that are on here, it delivers at a level of consistency that could not be That's realistically a expected. It's a great like, point. I, virtually every song I really like on here, there's some that I like less than others. Um, but all that being said, it, I think Ezra Koenig delivered in a way that I didn't expect and yeah. I really was pleasantly surprised by because uh, remember when the singles were coming out and... We were like a little disappointed. Yeah. We didn't like know what to, because like the things that people are taking away from this album aren't all the things I'm like. Harmony Hall isn't the big takeaway for no, me. No, me either. Uh, neither is that song later in the track list that sounds sort of Spanish influenced. And I cannot remember the name of it right now. It begins oh. with an S. Um, I'm not gonna remember. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, but I think songs like Flower Moon, songs like How Long, um, those are the ones that really like tell the story right. for me at least. Um, and I just love that he's trying all this different stuff. He's duetting with people from Heim. Yep. He's including that guy Eddie Lacey on tracks. Yep. He's it's really collaborating, and it does feel more and more like Vampire Weekend has become like his project. Yes, and those other two dudes are along for the ride yes. and touring and probably play their respective instruments yes. on the album. Yes, um, but yeah, I think this album's great, and I think that um, you know just because it's Vampire Weekend and it might not be that exciting I didn't want to let that detract for yeah. me personally yeah. uh, on my list that so makes sense. that's where it comes in at number two nice um, and then my number one I have Wise Blood Titanic Rising yeah. um, again maybe not a surprise if you've been listening to the podcast I think I've penciled this in as my number one since the spring when it came out really this just um, hit me at exactly the right time a lot of the lyrics were, a lot's gonna change we're we're very yeah seriously like I, I 
look, we've talked a lot about songs like Everyday, Movies, and Andromeda. I think those are like what's going to hook you, but what's going to keep you around are the songs like A Lot's Gonna Change and Something to Believe and Wild Time um, and, and songs like that. So I think this accurately captured the feeling of transitioning from one phase of your life to another um, and soundtrack that for me in a very real way. And that's really what I look for in music is can I establish an emotional connection? Can it soundtrack big moments in my life? Can I connect to it through that way? So on top of everything you said, the production, um, Natalie Murring's voice, just it's all so well done. Um, I listen to this a lot. It's my most listened to album of the year as well. Um, it really couldn't have been anything else this year. Um, and while there's some that have maybe gained ground on this one um, in the months since it came out, uh, it doesn't matter. This is 2019 to me, and this is this is my album of the year. I love that pick for me. I think it feels right yeah. for sure. Just like my number one pick feels right to me. It's I, Jessica Pratt, yeah. Quiet Signs. Yep. Um, I've told the story so many times on the podcast that it is boring at this point, but I had a really big moment with this when I was traveling and flying from New Hampshire, well, really from Boston, I guess, to San right. Francisco, and exploring that city and then flying back doing all of that alone. It was the first time I'd traveled really alone. And it, this soundtrack that, and it was an album I already liked going into the trip and I knew it hit at just the right time on this track list of the songs. Um, Hear my love, Polly blue this time around crossing and aeroplane were all considered mm -hmm. for my top 100 tracks of the year mm -hmm. and decade. Mm -hmm. um, they're all really important to me. And, um, as is her other album, uh, and I'm forgetting the name of it right now, On Your Own Love Again, um, which I actually think is a better album. Yeah. That's how good I think yeah. this Jessica Pratt stuff is. She really does it for me in a, in a huge way, and it does have to do with um, that kind of mystical, undefinable quality yes. of her songs and songwriting and the way these are recorded. It's a little bit, it almost sounds like there's a little bit of tape hiss, yeah. or like it, it sounds like you just put on a record and yeah, it's cracking a little a bit. Yeah, her voice has this really interesting rasp to it that I like became addicted to, mm -hmm. legitimately addicted to mm -hmm. for a while. Um, and yeah, this was a huge, huge album for me, really important uh, just for that time in my life. And like, I think it's interesting that that's the unifying theme of yeah. both of our number ones. It's like they meant a whole lot to us during a specific time of yeah, our life exactly. and a specific part of this year. Yes. Um, where like when it came down to making this ranking, it was just like pretty obvious. That's how it felt for me too. My top ten, with the exception of one or two, was all but decided like when I was making the rankings. That was the easiest part of this list for me. Was the ten or eleven albums that would be in that range? Right. Everything else was harder after that. But yeah, um, I think an incredibly strong year. I think both of those picks feel exactly right for yeah. us. Um, and yeah, I mean, this has been great to, to rank these albums the last five years with you. Yo, same um, here, man. Yeah. I, I'm very excited that we have this to kind of look back on. Um, thank you to everyone who has listened as well. Like Jake said at the beginning, podcast will still be here, but it will probably be a little bit different, a little less consistent. I think we'll do it more so when we're really excited to talk about something more than just, hey, there's new albums out. We better talk about these. Um, I think in the long run, it'll probably be better, more fulfilling podcasts, actually, for yeah. all involved. Yep. Um, but, I, you know, we'll I'm sure we'll be back at some point in January to maybe talk about what's coming for the year, but also what's coming in, like, the January, February range. Maybe we can do, like, an anticipated Q1 
Q1 anticipated albums or something yeah, like that. Yeah, or, or our usual most anticipated Most anticipated of the, year. of the year, yeah. And hey, man, like it's a new decade of music we got coming now. That's right. We're in That's the 20s right. almost. Man. We got we got five more four more days including today. Yeah. of the of the 10s yeah. decade, which is a crazy feeling. I know. And uh, it, it has been really good to document the the this decade in music with you in this way on the podcast and for anyone who's listened um it is, i think this does feel like kind of like a culmination of a certain era of this project yes. of ours yes um and i appreciate it from everybody who's Me been too. involved thank you for listening and for yeah. taking the time to to explore music with us yes, it's been cool exactly uh so happy new year to everybody i hope your new year and decade is a healthy and prosperous one And we'll be back uh, in the new decade. Here, here. Thanks, everybody. Christmas afterglow. Jake yes. just helped me realize that Christmas can be whatever you want it to be or need it to be as an adult. It doesn't have to live up to the expectations of being a child. Yeah, well, and this is a, a, a something that I only just stumbled on. It sounds very it's obvious. Wise. No, I think it's pretty wise. Yeah, but, well, yeah, and I don't know if I always do a perfect job of living up to it, but I'm a little better. I, you know, I think what it was is I was like, it was on Christmas Eve or Christmas, and I was like, I don't have that same feeling, but somehow I'm like still having fun. I'm still like having an okay day. Right. Why is that? That sort of led to the yeah. that thought process of like, oh, yeah. maybe I don't have to feel the same way. Things just aren't... And that makes so much sense because, of course, things that are exciting or fun as a kid will not be when you're an adult. That just is so obvious, actually. Um, but to put it in the context of Christmas is smart and something that i didn't do actually that's what i'm saying about like it is ob- it like is obvious it's mm. so simple it's obvious um well it's good i'm glad that that helps it helped me i guess um i i do have a, a pre-show uh take for you here jake but I'll, yeah. I'll, let me save it because i want to bring up the fact that we got a new star wars movie Ooh, yeah um, we did. rise of skywalker hit theaters right before christmas we both saw it opening weekend you saw it opening night on thursday that's right i saw it on friday um few observations here just from the general movie going piece of it quick scene setting question okay packed theater for you no really it was not so i saw it at 9 15 p.m at the portsmouth cinemagic wow um, I think the Regal is the more popular theater in this area. Oh, uh, the Newington one. Because um, this Cinemagic's a little... I don't want to say it's like gross, but it's not as nice as the Newington Regal. It's like also pretty new. I think newer than that Regal. Yeah, and that's weird. And because it doesn't feel nice. that way. Yeah, I like the Regal better too. My theater was anything but packed. There was still... You know, there was a good amount of people. Yeah. Um, so Carol was sick. So I ended up seeing this by myself, oh. which I'm totally fine with. I love seeing movies the by rise myself. Of solo. I, I had a great, I had a great little night by myself actually nice. seeing it. And I purposefully was like, okay, let me, let me take this in 
as a solo moviegoer on this one. First realization, what a difference between seeing Force Awakens with, I think, literally, like, a full row of our friends. Yeah, that was crazy. Like, I think we took up an entire movie theater row. Yeah. Um, everyone seemed a little more subdued for this one. People, like, I didn't feel an excitement. I felt like an obligation from everyone. Do you remember the feeling, and I think something that, that sort of demonstrates that in one, like, nuclear example. Mm-hmm. You remember the feeling of seeing the blue a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away? Yep. And then the yes. of the Star Wars I, letters coming up for Force Awakens? I do. And how, like, people fucking clapped. Yes. Like, just because they they didn't know what to do with themselves. It was it, so exciting. Yeah. It was so visceral. I remember that distinctly. And my mindset going into this one was like, well, no matter what, even if this movie isn't very good, that will still be a thrilling couple of seconds. And it was. Yeah. But it was different. No one in the theater like reacted really. I had a I had a not good crowd too. That like no one was really like into it in terms of yeah. reactions. Well, and and okay, so my crowd opening night at the Hooks at Cinemagic mm-hmm. um, packed. I think mm-hmm. sold out. There were some guys like in the back who were like seemingly they seemed drunk, and they were definitely <laughs> yeah. they were like. Yelling like, at one point, they were like, Fuck you, JJ Abrams. <laughs> That's actually and they, they were just like, when, when big reveals happened, like, you know, we're gonna go spoilers on this. Gotta go spoilers at this point. If you don't want spoilers, shut it off now. Mm-hmm. You've been warned, uh, listener. But the um, <laughs> um, the Ray reveal that she's Palpatine's granddaughter, yes, first of all, is stupid, but when it happened. Um, but the, like maybe necessary. It's like the only thing they could have done, or just like follow the actual threads that the Last Jedi laid out yeah, and like and have her be follow, no one. Yeah, finish that out yep. through. Uh, but okay, I have a few points that I want to get to after this. But the, some guy just in the back went, "Holy shit!" Just like really loud. <laughs> does it warrant that t- sort of reaction? I don't think it does. No, and I was getting. Pissed I'd be off. like, Ugh, okay. So, so here's the thing. This is the first time. It, for a movie I've had this much like anticipation for and wanted to see, and I tried to leave the the Rotten Tomatoes stuff, the fact that it had like middling Rotten Tomatoes yeah. scores at the door, and I think I did a pretty good job of yeah. that for myself. I left this movie immediately being like, that was bad. Yeah. It was nonsensical. It from a pacing standpoint, it was all over the place, and like it was impossible to get a grip on. Um, I thought that the Palpatine thing coming back was a kind of a shitty retcon on everything mm-hmm. that Last Jedi did, whether you like Last Jedi mm-hmm. or not. Um, not only that, I think it is on the on the nine a, movies, on, on, especially Return of the Jedi. What what does the Vader uh, kind of turning back to the light side triumphant moment even mean now? Dude, because like, oh no, the Emperor was just back, and that doesn't matter. What this movie means is that now this is the saga of Palpatine, right? More than this is the Palpatine saga, a character who's only in five of the movies. That's that's a great. Well, he's in a little bit of Empire. Actually, the only one he's uh, that's true. He's not in A New Hope, Force Awakens, or Last Jedi, right? Unless you. Barely in Empire. An Empire. And unless you take what he said, he's like, oh, every voice was me. Every, I was pulling the strings the whole time. It's like, oh, that's convenient. So you you were Snoke. You were a clone Snoke. Okay. I thought that was actually like really, really lazy mm-hmm. and, and pretty shitty. Yeah. And the way they did it, like what I thought would have been cooler. I mean, it doesn't matter what I fucking think because I'm not writing Star Wars movies. 
But maybe you should be. May, well, maybe. Like, what if even whether it's Palpatine or not? What if this movie was about the search for who was pulling the strings on Snoke? Yeah. Like maybe even it's Ray and right. Kylo teamed up or something, and right. like that would be a cool story. Yes. This movie with the opening crawl, they were like the dead talk. Like Palpatine's what? back, and like everyone knows now, and like Kylo's going to find him. And we're just supposed to accept this? I thought he was like, I don't know. Like his the whole part with him was weird, and I just there is precedent in the expanded universe novelizations of Star Wars where the Emperor clones himself, he comes back, yeah. Luke turns to the dark side, all these different things. But like those things that have been wiped out as not those are wiped out, not canon. Um, they did happen, but those always seemed goofy and sort of like, eh, like you don't, that's not really part of anything. The fact that they did that to cap off the most successful film franchise of all time is troubling. And, and I think it shows how little planning went into Force Awakens, Last Jedi. On their own, those are fine movies. Um, and and I've turned around a little bit on Last Jedi. Actually, I think both are better than this I, movie. I, I agree, and I actually like Last Jedi more in retrospect now. However, I do too. There was so clearly no plan going in on a story to tell, outside of just like we're gonna hit fan service beats that people want to see, um, and make a fuck ton of money. Some yeah, exactly. And I just felt like. It did a disservice to the nine movies. It did a disservice mm -hmm. to the trilogy yep. in a way where it did a thing that I think is a pretty cardinal sin in movie making and in storytelling, which is like, it's the, hey, it was all a dream sin. It, yeah. Because yeah. it was like, hey, like all this stuff that you thought mattered on its own yep. and in a little vacuum and like has its own story. It was just palpy the whole time. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what you thought and what like battles you fought because none of that matters until this moment. And it's like, all right, right so... What was this trilogy then? What was the last trilogy then? Yeah, what like you know, like the most dangerous game that this new movie has introduced is the fact that things from the beloved originals do not matter now yeah. because we just said nope. What it, that is a problem. It sucks because if you want, and this is something I'm gonna do. Like I'm always gonna treat episodes seven through nine as like different. I'm going to be like, that's not, that it's Star Wars, but not really. I frankly treat one through three that way. And yeah, I know that that's that, fair. I know that there's, you could go either way on that. That's fair. And I think, yeah, there's just a different level of that with one through three for me. But Because there's still, you have a different point, but I was going to say that there's still like a disconnect for me where Hayden Christensen, right. Vader is Vader. Right. Like as soon as I see A New Hope, and this is a bad sign, as soon as I'm watching A New Hope, as soon as I'm watching Empire, my mind is not thinking of that Anakin anymore. Such a good point. I'm just like they, that. It might as well be a different character. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I, I, it's, it, it, it's like I know that's there, but it's like my brain doesn't give a shit. It's That's like really it's better point. without that. I'm yeah. Gonna ignore it. Um so yeah, they they're kind of now this separate thing for me. Uh I do think Last Jedi, I mean uh Rise of Skywalker is the worst Star Wars movie uh we've ever had. Yeah, I mean I think it's I, it's I, right I, down there. Like it's It's right down and there. And look, you can maybe Phantom Menace or Clones is considered worse, but like Yeah. I don't know. There's I, something about those even that I'm like, this is still Star Wars because George Lucas was like, these are my ideas. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck I just watched with Skywalker. It didn't make sense. It was the Transformersication of yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. I, I think that like Attack of the Clones is my least favorite because I just don't like it as a movie. Mm -hmm. I don't like watching any part of it literally at all. Mm -hmm. 
Phantom Menace I like better than this movie, even though it's it is sort of dense and hard to yeah. like figure out with the trade dispute stuff and like the child actor thing is yeah. rough. Are you an angel? Yeah, I still like like watching that movie. I do too. I like watching Attack of the Clones as well. I like a lot of scenes in Attack of the Clones. Take out the shitty See, Anakin Padme stuff. I understand that. And, and this Detective is, Obi-Wan is sick. I don't think it's sick. And the reason is... No. <laughs> I, like, I get it. I think Obi-Wan and Ewan McGregor are awesome. Yeah. I Those scenes are hard to watch. They're so sterile. They are. They're so like... They he's are. on Camino and it's like, what is Camino? Like, right. He's in this white room Dude, with like, you want You want to talk about alien. what is this place we're on? How about the breakneck speed oh, that Rise man. of Skywalker introduced planets and then, and then literally destroyed them? Yeah. Because every Star Destroyer in this Magic Emperor fleet now has Death Star power planet-destroying weapons on them. Who's manning the million Star Destroyers out in the Unknown Regions? Who... Like, are these zombie ships? Like, Dude, what, what are, are these what, people? What about his Sith clones that we never see and never get a real explanation in the, of? In the, like, arena at the end? What the fuck was that? What is this arena? And, like... Dude, that's... This was my whole point. And at the end, with the big battle, and the, like, the... I'm all the Jedi, I'm all the Sith. Yeah. I hated all that shit. Yeah, that was bad. I hated all of it. Because it was the... It was, like... Taking something that in Star Wars with, like, lightsaber duels... They've be they they've sort of or like the final duel. They've gone from whether you like it or not, and we can talk about what are the best ones. I think some of the prequel ones are still pretty good. Yeah, they've gone from intimate things about a mm-hmm. person battling another person to these giant like impenetrable, impossible battles. Like in that battle, he he lightning force lightnings an entire fleet of ships. Yeah, that it, like what are we doing here? And then like is. Destroyed by his own lightning. Yeah, I don't. Because Ray has all the Jedi powers, but he had all the Sith powers. But, and he literally said, "If you kill me, I'll like become you." Like, it, and then she kills him. Is that still a thing? What it doesn't make any fucking sense? There were so many moments in this movie where they presented an idea and then said, "No, no, 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 we're actually not going to do that." Three PO, Chewie dying, three PO dying. Um, Kylo Ren dying. Yeah. Nope, he doesn't. Ray dying. Nope, she doesn't. But actually, Kylo Ren does die. Does die. It it, it was overload on that it, kind of. My reveal. head was spinning with it, the the Leia scenes were wooden and forced and weird. And I get it because Carrie Fisher is dead, and that's very unfortunate. Yeah. That was handled poorly. I thought. Um, it just isn't a, to me. It's not a satisfying resolution to Ray, who's a I think a great, a great movie, character, a great movie character. Great. I love Ray. To reduce her to like she's Palpatine's granddaughter, like it felt like it would have been cooler if she was just not. I know. And I actually thought, and I get why they did it at the end when she says, "I'm Ray Skywalker." I like that in one way, but I'm of two minds about it because in another way, I actually think it would have been fucking awesome if when that person was like, what's your last name? Which is like a weird question to begin with. If she was just like, just Ray. Yeah. That would have been cooler to me. If she was just like, no, like I'm my own thing. Right. I'm disavowing the Palpatine. And it felt like the, that Skywalker thing was tacked on at the end because they're like, well, we need a name for this movie. Yeah. I will say. What would the name have been if not that? What happened in this movie? The rise of Palpatine? They Dude, couldn't do that. I, I, I don't know. Like, what else would you call it? Like, what? I don't know. And I don't know what the first order is. I don't know what the final order is. I don't know what any of that is. A couple things I liked. 
really liked Ray's yellow lightsaber. This has been the thing the I've end. been saying to everybody. I really that. liked that. And it's like, hey, how about like have that be more of the story? Yes. And her like forging her own path yes. as a Jedi with Loved this sick the yellow lightsaber. lightsaber. And I like how she turned it on. She like twisted it almost. Yeah, that was cool. And yellow is an a, not a commonly it's a very seen. rare. And you might be able to say if this is true or not. My brother said that he thought the yellow lightsaber was commonly used by gray Jedi. Um, Those who are like in the middle of the force. So kind of. I have heard yellow lightsabers are used by a certain type of Jedi that like embodies some of like the warrior Jedi, but also like the scholarly Jedi. So like the most common are a blue and a green. Yep. And a yellow is sort of like the combination almost mm-hmm. um, of like we have the a foot in both. Yeah, yeah. So, um, another fun fact that you'll get to in Binge Mode eventually that I thought was really interesting. Maybe you already knew this. Do you know the reason why Luke had a green lightsaber in Return of the Jedi? No. It is as simple as um, in the scenes at Jabba's Palace, they were worried the blue wouldn't show up on the blue backdrop. They had not done like a true sunlit daylight lightsaber battle before. They had not had to do a lightsaber in sunlight and like with a blue backdrop. So they were like, That's amazing. They were like, "Is the blue gonna show up?" Like, nah, he's made his own. It's green now. I love that. I love it too because the sick. green, the Luke green lightsaber, I think is iconic. Even more iconic. I agree. Weirdly, the green Luke lightsaber is like, oh, he he's truly his own Jedi now. Yeah. The other one was like, oh, he's still it's, it's a doctor. shadow of his past or his father, and like he's still learning. I associate the blue one with like. The recklessness of going to Cloud City and fighting Vader, not being ready, and I associate the green with like he has returned as a fully formed Jedi. You know what I think is like, I think actually really up there in terms of lightsaber battles is Obi Wan, Qui Gon, and Darth Maul. Completely agree. In Phantom Menace, it like on its own like it's raises great. that movie a whole other it level. Does. It's not great. to a great level, but to a, a level of no, watchability. Um, uh, it's it's awesome, and I think that like. Attack of the Clones is also missing. I don't love the battle with Dooku. Mm-mm. The Dooku... Uh, I don't love Dooku. I kind of like Count Dooku as this idea. And if you learn a little bit more about him and mm-hmm. his whole relationship with being a Jedi and like all that, I actually think that's interesting. That's the problem it's with... It's not portrayed in the movie at all. <laughs> and that's sort of the problem with Star Wars yes. sometimes in general where it's like Attack of the Clones, I don't like as a movie. Sure, if I know more going in about Dooku or I know more about X, Y, or Z, the context, that's great. But it's like if I'm viewing it as a movie, and it's the same goes for Rise of Skywalker. It's like if I'm looking at it as a movie, it, it doesn't hang together. That's a fantastic point to bring up because one of my issues coming out of Rise of Skywalker was I don't know who the fuck the First Order was or why I should care about or the them. Final or order. the Final Order. And then, you know, there's an answer for everything in Star Wars. And I think with the prequels... I was much I was at an age where I was much more willing yep. and able and had the energy to dive into all that stuff and I cared about it. And I don't think you'd find an answer though, dude. Like you would though. There is now? an answer. There is. It but it's like bad and I I don't think I should need to rely on comic books or novelizations to fill in the cracks that the movie no. was glossing over no. that's a problem and i think that problem existed with the prequels mm-hmm. i was much more willing to learn about that stuff and cared more i don't give a flying fuck <laughs> about these new ones 
And that's why I left in over the next couple of days after seeing it. I was like, do I just not like Star Wars mm-hmm. as much? I think that answer is yes. Yeah. But I also think there's inherent flaws with something like Star Wars and the way it's being presented now as this monolithic product to be sold and it needs to be all things to all people it needs to satisfy all audiences which by definition means no one will be satisfied yeah that's a problem um so start it's just a different thing now yeah i had a funny observation or what it amused me watching the movie i loved that during this battle during this final like starship battle above the battle going on with rain right and the emperor um it's getting pretty dire yeah. for whatever the good side is called. I don't know. The resistance. Yeah, the resistance, I guess. Um, it's getting pretty bad up there. Yeah. And, like, Palpatine knocks out all their... Because, of course, he does, yeah. Yeah. Uh, during the entire battle, I love that Lando is just like, <laughs> Chewy, like, we out here having fun. Come on, buddy. Okay. Couple couple things on Lando. Chewy, you old pirate. <laughs> like, we gotta give Han more time. It's like, he's just, he's a senile old Lando. He did seem that way. He doesn't a know, like, what's like going senile on. senile old Lando. He's flying into, like... <laughs> Supreme danger, and he's like, "Hell, chewy your pal." Like, I, okay, where the fuck did Lando go to get all these ships that oh, yeah. showed up? I don't know. It's like they, he did it. What did he do? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Also, also, really quick, just on that, Finn was in this movie just to yell shit so the audience got. Yeah. It. Oh, he was yeah. also like there to just yell the name of people who died. Finn and Poe. Um, you know, I like those two actors a lot. I think that they actually have good chemistry as actors. I think yeah. they're both their characters fucking suck. Yeah. And I don't care about them. They should have been one character yeah. rather than two. They should have. I actually do think Poe, I think Oscar Isaac was supposed to be killed off in Force Awakens. But they oh. were like, ooh, movie star. Like, people like him. We're going to keep him around. Well, it also like they were good in Force Awakens. They were. Both of them were good. Yep. And like, as a story... Yep. That worked to have them both yeah. in there. Maybe it didn't make sense to have them in a whole trilogy. No, maybe not. Was there more story to tell for them? So I don't know what was going on with Lando and getting all those people. I don't know what... <laughs> Chewy, <laughs> old dog. I don't Here know. Here we go. It's like, dude, like your your shields are down. Like, shit's really fucking... You almost just got blown out of the sky. I don't know. It's going terribly. What the deal was with that, that throwaway line to the... Other black girl who used to be a stormtrooper. Yeah. What was that? He's like, do you want to find out? It's like, are you going to fuck me, Lando? Or are you my dad and you're still going to fuck me? I Like, I don't know. I couldn't figure that out either. That I, was weird. I left and I, I was like, so I saw it with a, like a, a group of people. Yeah. And first of all, I turned to... There were very different reactions yeah. actually out of the group. I think mine was the most negative. Yeah. Um, but I did have at least one or more of them come to me in the next few days and be like, yeah, I, actually pretty bad. Um, but anyways, I, I was like, is, is that Lando's daughter? Is that the implication? What was that? It's not explained. No, it's not. And it's like, why of the three black characters on the screen, does one need to be the other's daughter? Right. Or, or does one need to fuck the other? Right. Necessarily. So here is, I think, the most likely answer. This is um, inserting an opportunity to do a Disney Plus show about this former stormtrooper turned whatever who finds out where she came from and has adventures and I guarantee you that's what they'll be doing. You're probably right. With cameos by Billy D. Williams, um, et cetera, et cetera. 
One thing I did like, I thought the scenes uh, on the planet that had the ruined Death Star 2 on it were good. I think there were threads there. And I... Excuse me. I sort of wish... Got the hip-ups, as Tommy Pickles would say. Exactly. I sort of wish when Rey defeated Kylo in that lightsaber duel, he just died. But also, like, of course he couldn't or wouldn't because he had to do something else later. Everything was a mess, but I think there were threads of cool stuff happening with the ruined Death Star 2. Yeah. Again, there were things about the movie I liked. Like, I thought it was visually great. I love watching the characters Kylo Ren and Rey. Yeah. I just think they kind of did them a disservice. And like we, we talked about this over text. I think these movies had the opposite problems of the prequels. Yeah. If you combine what was good about the prequels and what was good about these movies, you'd have three really great movies. What in your mind is the best thing about the prequels and what is the best thing about these sequels? The best and then thing what's about, the worst? The best thing about the prequels is that looking back with the, the benefit of hindsight, they have a cohesive story. Yep. In one way or another, some of that shit is a little bit muddy, mm-hmm. and George Lucas could have fleshed out a little bit better, but they at least follow a character's arc. Mm-hmm. Whether you like the way they did it or not, mm-hmm. I don't really, mm-hmm. but it's at least one, pretty much one story told pretty well. Yep. Um, and all the stuff around it is like kind of shitty. Okay. Depending on yep. how you look at that. Yep. Um, and I think a lot of the CGI is aged pretty poorly, but that's not their mm, fault. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a good Like point. that dude with a head that is like this wide in Dooku's like council. Yeah, yeah. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. The banking clan yeah. pledges their support. <laughs> yeah, that dude. Um, yes. So I think it's like actually in, its, in, in a weird way more cohesive, but looks weird and dated and looks like awkward in some places mm. like all the complaints i have about obi-wan on camino or yeah. obi-wan talking to his like buddy dax yeah is it was it that guy's name yeah. drax? Is da- it drax i think it's dax that like big weird toad guy yeah it's like that's those scenes are wooden and, that's a and, good point and those don't look those have aged lack very life because yeah. it's like this guy like, <laughs> like not really reacting yes they're not playing off each other Cloner. Yeah, it's like, what is yeah. this character i like hated him from the moment i saw him <laughs> these three movies suffer from a lack of cohesion. I think they all look great. Yep. And I like parts of all of them. I loved Force Awakens. I meh to liked Last Jedi. Yep. And I really didn't like this movie. Yeah. But I think they all looked awesome. Yeah, I agree. And like, and felt, I don't know, they, they just felt more real in the moment. Like, And I think where they pushed that was this like arena. I agree. That was a mess. It looked shitty. That was bad. This like Sith arena. Yeah, that didn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, anyways, I, I'm going to try and see it again at some point. I'll probably uh, see it. I'll see it again. I don't think I'm going to like it anymore. In fact, I think I'll just, I'll, I'll like it even less after seeing it again. It, it just doesn't hold up to like no. any scrutiny. No. It's like, what it happened in this movie? It doesn't. Uh, before we dive in, Jake, I have, uh, I do have an official pre-show item for you. Oh, yeah. Now, this is a troubling shoe trend uh. I have noticed in the office. Amongst men, okay? And this ties in with our conversation about, like, athleisure and and things like that. Have you noticed? It's two things. It's two distinct things. One, it's either sneakers that are made to look like dress shoes. Where, like, the sneaker, it's like, 
they like look like leather, like brown oh. leather, but they're actually sneakers. Oh, I don't know if I've seen. Okay, these. the other one are it's like dress shoes, but with like a sneaker sole on oh, them. Yeah, yeah, those are just cheap dress shoes. Both of these are this idea of like we're gonna blend, like leisure wear and athletic wear with like the office and it's it fails on every front and i hate all of it i think i need to see a picture but i think i agree with you on principle yeah no will you wear sneakers to work would you wear a pair of vans oh yeah i I, I wear my vans i wear my kill shots i'll wear my converse yeah that's fine because those aren't trying to be anything but sneakers exactly yeah and i'll wear dressier shoes or boots or something like that when i want the other thing Yep. It's these people who are like, these are my work shoes. Yeah. And I wear a blend of fucking sneaker and dress shoe because it looks dressy, but it's comfortable. It's like you can I, I, I just I don't like that. I don't like it. It's a problem. It's running rampant across the offices of America. Whoa. It's running rampant across my office. This let's is, let's dial that back, guys. This is your platform. And if you if if Sean is elected Office dress code enforcer. Yeah, this this will this will you'll come be thrown to in a, the brig. This if, will come to an end if you show up with this. Yeah, by hook or by crook. You know, but it is this idea of, of athleisure. We're blending the rules of. Uh, what are the brands you're talking about, dude? Here? Do you know the brands? No, because I because I can picture an ugly dress shoe. Because I think they're what's 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 a problem now, Jake? Is you have these like Instagram ads and these mm-hmm. lifestyle brands that have popped up that are like, go from the gym to the office and back, blah, blah, blah. And like, subscribe to our thing. Like, it, it's some subscription service yep. that is sending you like clothes that you don't want, but like, you don't know how to dress yourself. So you're subscribing to this thing. There's a lot there to unpack. Um, I don't like them. I think they look bad. I think it's lazy. Yeah. I think it's tacky. Now, are you talking about like... So, okay, I can't totally picture it. And I feel like if I saw them, I'd know. Yeah. Are you talking about like... Like some people will wear a shoe that is just adjacent to like a hiking boot to work. Like... like Or... Or like... Sketchers version of what a that dress shoe is. is trending into what I'm talking about. It's not quite there. Okay. I'm okay. okay. I'm okay. I still don't love... The hiking look. boot adjacent. I'm still just like, what are you doing? Yeah. But it's not the, quite the same. You know, when I first started seeing these pop up, it was like a normal dress shoe, but with like a loud, like yellow sole that looks like it'd be on a fucking running shoe. Oh, okay. And I'm just like, what the, f- what are you doing? Like, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've noticed that as a trend in, in different in different okay. capacities. I'm gonna have uh, to look out for it. And take I'll, a look. I'll look for examples. I'm sure yeah. many will pop up now that you've seen. Yeah, it. you'll you'll notice it out there. You'll notice it out there in the streets. Yeah. So that that was my big pre-show takeaway. Um, I think we can dive in. Yeah. Oh, I have one more thing. I okay. Went, I went to uh, go see a Celtics game. That's right. And it was not the best Celtics game I've ever been to, but it was maybe the most pure fun I've had at a Celtics Good. game. Um, Good. It had everything you'd sort of want out of it. Um, they won Good. in kind of a route yep. over the Hornets. Yep. But the first three quarters were back and forth. Yeah. The Hornets had, like I think, a lead going into the half where we just barely took the lead back at yes. before halftime. Yeah. Um, 
And it was an awesome time. By the That's end, good. the crowd was calling for Taco Fall. Hell yeah. The seven foot seven Senegalese yes. player yes. who we have. Who it was also funny because the crowd was just turning every chant into something about taco. <laughs> so like instead of the defense, everyone was turning that into taco. Yes. People were turning the the um, uh. let's go Celtics into we want taco. <laughs> That's amazing. You can hear it if you look at the Instagram of like Tatum who dropped thirty nine his career nice. high. Yeah. Um, if you look at those clips of him hitting like that last three to hit thirty nine, the crowd's already chanting <laughs> "We want taco." It was like I that's awesome. Got caught up in the fun of that, yeah. in the most pure way I have since I was a kid. Nice, that's great. And it was because I, I, I was I just like, that. this is like hilarious. Like this is a shared yes. Like it's not a joke at his expense. We literally love yeah, this guy, yeah. and want to see him in the game. And he did go in. He scored four points, one of which was on an alley oop. So sick. Um, Which he probably didn't have to jump for. He like barely did. Yep. The other one was a layup that he like didn't jump for. <laughs> right. Um, and it's just like a fun thing for everyone to root for. It yeah. was a good mood too because this was on December 22nd. Yeah. So it's like three days before Christmas. A lot of people had the next day off. I didn't, yep. but I had the week after that day off. So it felt like I had... I think a lot of people were like, had a couple. <laughs> yes, like, you yes, know what I mean? Yes. They were in a little bit of a Christmas spirit mood. <laughs> I love that. That's and it was great. a really good time. That's great. Celtics games... From a game standpoint, like when I'm watching, of course I'm rooting for the Celtics. It's a little bit different than when I watch on TV and I'm rooting for them. Like me too. I actually weirdly don't care as much how the game's going when I'm there. Yeah, it feels like it doesn't count, right? Doesn't it? Yeah, but it does. And then when what I always do, like to do is go home and look at the clips and like, oh, this makes it real. Ex- yeah. How weird is that? Whoa. How well, I mean, our whole relationship with sports is seeing them on it's TV. So. And and you watch the game differently live you without do. the narrative that's yes. being imposed. Like, I didn't realize until, like, there's probably, like, most of the fourth quarter left yeah. to go when I was like, oh, Tatum's, like, going off. Yeah, and I exactly. looked up, I was like, oh, damn, he's got 30 yes. points. Like, maybe he goes for 40. That's what happened when I went and I saw Pierce drop, like, 45 yeah. against the Cavs. I, like... It felt like a quiet forty-five up until the end. I was like, "Wait a minute, he's yeah, got yeah." Exactly with Tatum, I, I had this realization. I was like, "I hope he drops 40. but it was later in the game than I would have expected. Um, and and then you do the narrative voice of the commentators not being there changes the way you view it. Yeah. I also had two of those giant Sal's pizza slices. Oh, I love those. You know, those, those are those are great. Massive, yes. like literally cookie sheet yes. length <laughs> pizza slices. Yes. I had two of them. Yes. I love it. I was just like throwing all caution to the wind and spending <laughs> willy nilly. You like you got, you got a couple beers, I presume. Yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, had a few beers. I did that the last game I went to, and I think I got like the twenty two ounce, like yes. whatever. Yeah. I got it. They're like they're like fifteen dollars. And my dad's like, what was that? Like ten bucks? I was like, if only. <laughs> but it's like, but it's like, you know what? I I get that whole thing, but it's like, how often are you at a Celtics exactly. game? It's worth it. What, are you going to sit there like a fucking Puritan and be yeah. like, oh, no, I, on principle, I won't yeah. get this. It's like, well... I saved money so and you're gonna have myself a fucking ham sandwich. It's you're like, going to have less fun? Yeah. Or, like, you're not going to do something you want to do? I love buying concessions. Me too. It's one I of do my too. favorite parts. Yes. And it's like, I'm getting gouged, but at least I can joke about it. Yeah. And I'm aware I'm getting gouged. It's all part of the experience. Yeah, like, it is. Fuck. It's part of the, the people like, oh, I'd never buy that. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to enjoy this beer and, like... Money's a construct, and here it's just like we're dealing with hyperinflation for some reason. Yep. So, like, 
That's just how I'm going to treat it. $15 here is worth less than $15 like at a gas station. Outside so the I don't care. Whatever. Money yeah. doesn't mean like it's. Yeah. It's just, you'll, yeah, it, totally. That's how I feel. I was, and I, this is the most. It's also I've a ever... very privileged perspective to have where it's like, hey, yes. a couple $15 beers, no skin off my back, where some people are like, well, that's my grocery money for the week. Yeah. That is acknowledged. Yeah. That's acknowledged. We don't have families. Right. We're not like scrimping and saving <laughs> right. necessarily. And I, you know, I didn't pay for these tickets. Right. They were a gift. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, what am I going to do? Like, not spend $30 on two slices of pizza? No. That was my logic, too. And or the, $20. The other thing that happens is, like, you, even if I buy the tickets, I've bought them so far in advance. By the time I get there, I'm like, these tickets are free. They were free, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, that money, I don't, I don't miss that money anymore. Also, really quick, because this is maybe the longest pre-show of all time. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Trust me, it's not. It's, like, getting close. We're up in the thousands. Yeah, okay. On the ticker here. But, uh, so... My mom and my stepdad discovered because they were seated. So we were up in the balcony. We didn't, I mean, it didn't have great seats, but I don't think there's any bad seats in the garden, no, really. No, there's not. We were in section 328. Yep. We were like probably five rows in front of them, six rows. Um, me, my brother, and our girlfriends, and then my mom and my and stepdad were behind us. They were seated next to a larger gentleman, yep. which made their seating arrangement uncomfortable. Of course. Which f- made them discover that behind. Those sections, if you just walk all the way to the back, there's this whole bar area. Really? It, on one half of the stadium, the one we were on, 328 was the last section that had it. So like, if you look at the stadium the long way, yeah. one side like has a has like a bar and a, and a row of uh, like countertop oh, bar stool seats really? that run the length of the... That anyone can go to? Yeah. Really? And yeah, and so they were like, they texted, they were up at this bar. Wow. And it was cool. We watched That's the third sick. quarter from up there. Like Mary-Kate and I walked I like up with that. our beers. That's awesome. And just like hung out and talked. And like, I like that. It was cool. I didn't I like know that, that existed. So it's something to look out for if you're going to the TD Garden. Interesting. The TD Bank TD- North Garden. <laughs> the Fleet Center. The Fleet Center. <laughs> Uh, let's do a quick pause before we dive in because I'm going to go to the bathroom. I will too. Okay. Back on so we can get going whenever you're ready. Okay. More pre-show thoughts (laughs) about the garden. (laughs) About the fleet. Uh, Okay. Here we go. Three, two, one. 